Jesus said, Behold, I come quickly. 2,000 years ago, his words came to pass. AD 70, Jerusalem surrounded by armies. The temple destroyed. Sacrifices ceased. The end of the age. So where are we at on the prophetic timeline of history? Jesus said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given unto me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. And that we have been made kings and priests to reign here on earth. The Revelation Red Pill, the kingdom of God is now. For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, now and forever. Amen. Welcome back to Revelation Red Pill Wednesdays. We're your hosts, Leah and Michelle. We got Pastor Jason Heidinger in the house. So excited to have you back, Jason. I'm glad that you could last minute join us. Uh, here tonight, we are going to be talking about, um, when the book of revelation was actually written, believe it or not, this is really important because this is one of the greatest arguments that dispensationalists will tell you hand over fist. It doesn't matter. It was not written until X, Y, Z after AD 70. And if that is the case, then, well, you know what? Pretty much. I mean, we, we still have Matthew 24. We still get Matthew 24 if that's the case. Okay, but if that if that's the case, then it's like, okay, well, John wrote this and no way could it apply to AD 70 and the fall of uh, the temple, the fall of Jerusalem. So tonight we are going to dig into this. Now, there is a book that is literally this big, the Perusia by Ken Gentry, right? No, you're not Ken Gentry about uh, it's not that big. It's called. Okay, it's really thick, but it's it's called Before Jerusalem Fell. By is Ken that, Gentry. And and it's actually, it is pretty big. Because it's it's, it's a very small type. It's very, very small Literally, types. though, you would not think that you could do, you a, could whole do a whole book, book on, on when, dating. Yeah. One when book. the book of Revelation was written. And so it's we invited Jason to come on because Jason also has a revelation on this and has done some research on it as well. And we were like, you know what? I can't think of anybody better in our circle to come on and help us give you guys the the lowdown and this is kind of like a mystery like not a murder mystery but no, like it a is. mystery I, yeah it is we're gonna get into the details the nitty-gritty we're gonna show you the evidence and by the end of the show you're gonna make your own decision which is gonna land where ours is on when you think the book of revelation was written based on all of the facts that we're gonna give you so jason heidinger welcome to the show so glad you're here Thank you. Just so you know, there is a book called Pair, whatever that P word. Perusia, yeah. I do have that book on my shelf out in the living room. So Believe that that's book by, it's also thick. That's by the believes Stuart Russell, and it's very thick. And I still have not got to the end of that one. That was, <laughs> that was tough to read. That was written like in the eighteen hundreds. A little bit tough for me to follow. All right, so it looks like we've got all of our favorites here. They've already shown up. Debbie says, hi, everyone. My girls and Jason. Linda's here. Everybody's pouring in for your favorite night, Revelation Red Pill Wednesdays. It's my favorite night. It's mine. Okay, so Leah. Yeah. So, yeah, so you just, are you handing me the the baton? No, I was, no, but I'm not going to get into it. We'll wait. Yes, I'm handing you the baton. Jason says, yes, I'm handing it to you. Well, I'll got my comments later. Yeah, so there are... Two ways to look at how, how, when books were written. So you go to what's called the internal evidence, which is what inside of a letter, what are some marks that maybe John might have put in there that maybe dated when it, it, it couldn't have been after or before a certain date. 
and we're going to get into some of that. And then there's external evidence. So external evidence would be other books in the Bible. It would be uh, it would be other historians. So what maybe Josephus or church fathers. What did uh, uh, one of the the main uh, quotes that the people who say that the book of Revelation had to be written after AD 70 it comes from Irenaeus and we're going to get to that quote so what did some of the church fathers say about when the book of Revelation kind of was like if you know 500 years from now we are going to have more of an authority on what happened during World War II say than those people 500 years from now or 2000 yeah. years from now right yeah. so because we're closer to the actual events that happened our grandparents were a part of it etc yeah exactly all right so jason what set you down this uh rabbit hole of dating the book of revelation uh it all started actually i specifically took an extra term of bible college to get the book of daniel revelation um, because me and my wife were spring students, so we were done in January, and I wanted to get the teacher. I wanted to hear him teach Daniel, Daniel Revelation. I actually came out of that class more confused. Yeah. Because as we went through it, there were so many references. We had to jump. We had to make these leaps and basically assumptions to make the end times theory fit. Yeah. And so... As I took that with what I actually, when I got born again, I was in a church that taught Victoria's eschatology. But then I kind of got away from it. But after sitting down to Daniel Revelation in Bible school, I'm like, okay, there's something that I need to get back to what I learned when I first got saved. And so that led me down a journey because the one thing that always hung out there for the end times was the dating of the book of Revelation. Of all the things that the Lord took me through and teaching me about the kingdom, the one that was still out there was the 70 AD. Yeah. Because if Revelation was written later, it didn't apply to 70 AD. And it doesn't really matter what happened to 70 AD because Revelations couldn't have been fulfilled. The things that were in Revelations that applied to the destruction and all that, and even Matthew 23, 24, 25, that couldn't apply. Yeah. So that led me on the journey of studying when the book of Revelation was written. Because if it was written before 70 AD, it made really, to me, the whole Bible fit together properly as a puzzle that it was written. The mysteries came together, and it actually revealed the character and nature of God. Because if we, and even in my studies, I'll share this, there are so many people that claim to be atheists because of the end times theory. Yeah. Oh, when yeah. you start studying it, they're like, well, if Jesus' own words didn't come true, in Matthew 23 and 24, when he walks out of the temple and says, not one of these stones, not the third temple that's being <laughs> rebuilt and all this. And people become atheists because they said, even your own prophet, the greatest prophet, Jesus, if his words weren't true in Matthew 23, 24, and all these things are futuristic events, then why would I even believe the Bible? Right, right. And so in studying it, the 70 AD, the dating of Re the book of Revelation, brought it together and said, okay, here is, it's kind of that one piece that makes everything in a puzzle fit together. And all of a sudden it allowed it for me, everything to kind of like a hub, everything kind of fit together. I was able to say, okay, now I can bring this in here and it brings here. And it allowed it to fit together even back into the, some of the Old Testament prophets like Daniel. So that was for me, the journey. You know, I like what you say there because honestly, guys, we have yet to, and you may have noticed this, 
Hey, yeah. this is called Revelation Red Pill, and we're 18 episodes in, and y'all don't talk about the book of Revelation very much. There's a reason for that, because we hadn't actually gotten to the dating of the book of Revelation. We wanted to lay a foundation of all these other things ahead of time, because the book of Revelation is really the least, in my humble opinion, important of understanding the kingdom, but it is a very important book, and it's very important to understand when it was written before we even get into it. So we are going to take you guys guys through the book of revelation but before we get there we have to find out leah when when was it written when do they say when do dispensationalists say it was written jason you want to answer that 95 96 ad and do you know why they say that um it's uh i always pronounce his name wrong I, it, I, Irenaeus. I think it's Irenaeus. Irenaeus. it's his writings that he had and it was in um the works of I, uh, I don't know. It's book five, chapter eight is where they reference it from, um, from Irenaeus. No, you're right. And it's, it's from Irenaeus and I'm going to try to, I've got Who's this. a historian of the time, just like yeah. Josephus. There were many historians of the time. Yeah. So, uh, dispensationalists say because of the testimony of Irenaeus, he was a disciple of Polycarp. Okay. So Polycarp was actually a disciple of John. John the Revelator. So you've got John the Revelator. Then you've got Polycarp, who was burned uh, at the stake. But then he, it was a really cool story about Polycarp. Uh, but he didn't see, he we didn't actually feel like he was That's burning. That's a really yeah. cool story. Uh, who is said to have been a disciple of the Apostle John. Uh, the following statement is from Irenaeus. Now, Irenaeus lived between uh, 120, Michelle's going to fix my earbud, which is the bane of my existence when I do these shows, uh, 120 to uh, 202 AD, and quoted later by Eusebius, uh, about 263 to 339 and others. And it made it worse. No, is <laughs> often seen as the foundation for the late date, a theory which holds the book of Revelation was written between 95 and 96. And he says, this is it. This is, this is, this is what hinges this quote, Jason, it's nothing in the book of Revelation that the late daters date it. It's and this is the quote. We will not, however, incur the risk of pronouncing positively as to the name of the Antichrist. For if it were necessary that his name should be distinctly revealed in this present time, it would have been announced by him who beheld the ap apocalyptic vision. For that was seen no very long time since, but almost in our day towards the end of Domitian's reign. At face value, it could appear that Irenaeus said that John received his vision during the time of Domitian. Domitian was uh, a, a emperor between 81 and 96 AD and was the last emperor of the Flavius dynasty. However, a number of objections have been made against this conclusion among uh, the following. Uh, and a Richard Joseph uh, Crick, I don't know how to say his name, uh, Critchker, who at first set out to prove through research that Revelation was written around 95 AD, but changed his stance. set out to, to prove something, you might find it. Yeah, this is a secondhand <laughs> quote, a paraphrase of a statement originally made by Polycarp, number one. Number two, it is not entirely clear what Polycarp meant when he had says that was seen. The original manuscript of Irenaeus' work in ancient Latin no longer exists in any legible condition, and those who uh, first translated it complained at the time about the poor condition of the manuscript of uh, manuscript evidence of his work. Some translators contended that the phrase should have been translated he was seen, meaning that Irenaeus was referring to John, 
Khan rather than his ap apocalyptic vision being seen during Domitian's reign. The writings of Irenaeus suffer from credibility and textual issues. For example, in the same publication from which this quote comes, Irenaeus stated that Jesus ministered for more than 15 years and was crucified at 50. So, should we take what Irenaeus well, is saying? Well, it's something to, to pull in and kind of look at, but... Saying? At face value, it could appear that Irenaeus said John received his vision during the time of Domitian, who reigned between 81 and 96 AD, and was the last emperor of the Flavi Flavius dynasty. However, um, oh, I, I doubled that up. I doubled that up. Kurt Simons cites the following opinion, giving Robert Young, the author of Young's Analytic Concordance, in his commentary on Revelation, written around 1885. It was written in Patmos around AD 68 whither John had been banished by Domitian Nero, as stated in the title of the Syriac version of the book. So that is another kind of proof. So there's a Syriac version of Revelation, and it literally, uh, and it does say when it was done, when it was written during Nero. Yeah, because the be title disclosed? of the Syriac Bible, the yeah. title of the book of Revelation is, is again the revelation, which is upon the Holy John, the evangelist, from God when he was on the Isle of Patmos where he was thrown by the Emperor Nero. There. Is it yes. Exactly. And it's right there. So why would you think why would we take for why would why would you take one Irenaeus who has some maybe some problems with a little bit of his, you know, datings and things like that over the 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 actual title of the book in the Syriac version of the Bible? Yeah, so we have Irenaeus. He has, if you study his writings, there's multiple things that are questioned, like Jesus being 50. And so other things, so whether Irenaeus wrote it wrong or because of the very poor transcripts, yeah. it was translated wrong because there's one of the, when you're studying the whole Irenaeus thing, there's some that say actually the translation of the quote you read is actually the wrong quote. Mm -hmm. And it does seem, so there's so much with things that are, easily to say okay that's not what i'm going to put my weight in to date the book of revelation but that is where the modern end times theory that's where the weight of the dating becomes okay and that's what they use predominantly to come against the people that have the the revelation of 70 a.d and the book of revelation being written prior to 70 a.d okay so what are some of the things that uh, when you were looking at the 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 dating of Revelation that made you land towards the earlier date, even though uh, right from from my research, historically, the uh, there was an earlier date. Most scholars land on the early date. It's just been recently that they've had to revamp their own dating of the book of Revelation just to get people like us out of the way. And then I actually have. You know, most Bibles have the intro to the book of Bible. I have a couple because my wife put me on a Bible buying hold because I'd buy so many of them just to have the different references. A Bible so buying hold. Like, so I'm not allowed to buy Bibles at the current time. Um, and that's been like a year going on. But literally, some of them will actually give you both dates because for the longest time in our modern evangelical circles, it was it was this is it. Mm -hmm. And now there's the truth is starting to come out that, no, we're not settled in that. And even though we look at um, Irenaeus, there were several other church fathers of that time when Irenaeus was there that wrote that it was actually Emperor Nero that put John on the, the island of Patmos. 
So we have Iron Ace is one reference where we have other multiple church fathers that have spoken to the earlier day of John being on that. And if you think about this, if John was put on the Isle of Patmos in 90 and like nine, uh, 96, and, 95, 96. Yeah. He would have been around 90 years old. Like, do you think yeah. he would have been giving so much issue to the king? They said, oh, we're going to put you here. No, he was active when he was 60, 62 years old, you know, around 64 to 66 AD. He was, you know, he was, as they say, turning and burn. He was giving the king a hard time. He was spreading gospel because that would place him dying about four years after the island of Patmos. And that doesn't fit with some of his other writings. No, you're absolutely right. And there are some eyewitness accounts that, um, and, and we and we might get into these now or, or later, that have John going to all the churches on horseback after the book of Revelation was written. Yeah, so, yeah that'd be... Yeah. And that's kind unless of hard to imagine. Living, unless you're living uh, 900 years like Noah or Adam and Eve, uh, 90, he, he didn't have much life left at that point. Exactly, exactly. I that honestly, the 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 later date for me, and we can go into some of the proofs. The later date for me hinges on his age. Yeah. Why it would, and, and then Dom, Domitian. So why would Domitian? Domitian was not he. There was some slight persecution of Jews, but he, I don't see Domitian taking and throwing John to the Isle of Patmos. Supposedly, and church history says that John could not be killed and that's why he was sent to the isle of patmos that they tried to burn him alive and nero said i can't kill you so you're going to you're, i'm banishing you to an island are you there yeah i'm here okay so that that's that's kind of one of the bigger things for me so why don't you take us through some of the proofs that you've come uh, over that date the earlier date for revelation there's a lot of them, so I'm going to kind of hit on one that you kind of started on, the Jewish persecution of Christians. Okay. That was a big part of, and it's referenced in Revelation 6 and Revelation 11, and at the point after the fall of the temple and the destruction of Jerusalem, the Jewish people have never been in a place to be persecuting the early church like they were then. Okay. This is something, when you look at the book of Revelation, it was written to that generation where mm -hmm. these things were going to happen to all these persecutions. Now, yeah, we have persecution as believers, but in America, we don't really have persecution compared to the, you know, I think mm -hmm. it's Western. I say, like, we don't really, under, but the persecution that was coming from the Jewish people after the fall of Jerusalem, they were scattered. They've never had the power. And that's why. There's so much in 1948 when Jews became a nation. This is them coming together. So uh, like the belief in end times is they're now a nation. So now they can persecute us so Jesus can come. Yeah. You like, know, that's, that's pretty strange. Where, yes, that's absolutely true. Because those are some of the internal um, markers in the book of Revelation that there was persecution uh, of the Christians by the Jews. Yep. And it was cool when I was in... Uh, Bible school, one of the professors had actually went to the temple and he took pictures of all the stones that were burnt and they, none of them, like the scripture said, I think it's Matthew 20, not one of these stones will stand on them and they will be burnt. Wow. And he had pictures of the burnt stones mm -hmm. and everything, but we're still saying it didn't apply because revelation was written after. 
But if you place it before, guess what? Matthew 24, Revelations. There are so many parallels that say, man, what Jesus was talking about, John was giving us further revelation of the mysteries that Jesus was talking about in Matthew 23, 24, and 25. Right. And when you start to put that puzzle together, we can see that Revelations, it's vital that it was written prior to the fall of the temple. It is. It's absolutely vital. Well, you know what I keep thinking is, you know, we always come on here and maybe you guys, you guys should know this after 18 episodes, but if not, that's okay. It means the revelation of Jesus Christ. Yes. Right. The unveiling of Jesus. Jason, this is kind of an aside, but also in keeping with tonight's topic. Why would John be giving us a revelation of Jesus that's not going to happen for 2,000 years? What's the meaning? How can revelation be the revelation of Jesus Christ, something that we all as Christians should know, but it doesn't apply because it's just a complete literal book of some sort of apocalyptic thing that happens two or 3,000 years later? Does that make any sense? It makes as much sense as me giving my kids a deed to land and saying, you're going to possess this in your lifetime. And then we're at my great, 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 I don't know how many greats, grandkids saying, but I still don't have it. My dad, my great grandfather's never had it. I don't still have it. We're 2000 years later saying, it's not even logical. When you really logically look at the end times, it makes no sense. That's what like literally led me on a journey to getting back to the kingdom message when I went through the class of Daniel and Revelation in Bible school because it wasn't logical. I had to make these huge assumptive leaps that when you look at it, you can't make. Yeah. It goes, we interpret the Bible, book of Revelation and we throw out all the Bible rules of interpretation for the rest of the Bible. And we say, but this book's different. No, it's still the same rules that apply. And we got to stick with what works. If it works for Genesis through, I think, third John, it's going to work for Revelation. <laughs> That's really good. I think you're absolutely right. And then number one, I think, it are the timestamps. Behold, yep. I come quickly. The time is near. Don't seal these up. I'm coming quickly. And that goes more towards your point where you're talking to your kids. If you're telling your kids, hey, I'll be home from work soon, and it's 2,000 years later, at what point is dad not even coming home? And at what point is dad a liar and not, you know, a good guy? Yeah. And at what point does it become help deferred makes the heart sick, as it says in the scripture? We've been deferring hope for 2,000 years when it was actually talking to that generation from the time John wrote it, it would have been depending on the dating. Some say as early as 64, it would have been six to eight years. Yes. Yes. But now we're saying we deferred hope of Christ coming again for 2000 years. I think a lot of people have died sick in their heart because of the end time message. I think that when you're talking about those timestamps, this is my favorite book on that, uh, R.C. Sproul, The Last Days According to Jesus. And I think uh, R.C. Sproul, who's no longer with us, I think the biggest thing for him was always the language of I come quickly. If he, if he has everything else, anything else in this book, everything else is, it it all comes on, it all hinges on the timestamps of behold, I come quickly, behold, I come quickly, behold, I come quickly. And that you can't, um, you can't go around that any other way. 
right? That it just means quickly. There's no other mental gymnastics because we talked about with the book of Daniel, right? So the book of Daniel was written 500 years before Jesus. And Daniel was told to do what? To seal up for it was way, it's way out in the future, right? So when you've got this, um, you know, I pull, I, I'm, I'm at the AD 64, 65 range. I think that that makes the most sense because of the, uh, the internal markers where John seems to be hastily writing a book on the cusp of something. Yeah. Does it not seem that he's, he, he's writing seven churches who are going through an, an intense amount of persecution. Do you want to talk about that? Um, I actually have the scriptures pulled up sure. about the coming quickly. Okay, great. For me, the external evidence, it was a big part of the journey. But the internal evidence that's in our very own scriptures, you know, so, you know, solo scripture, as we talk about those different things, I think, from Martha Luther, scripture interprets scripture. Yes. We look at the references just in Revelation. And the coolest part is Revelation, the first chapter and the last chapter, all timestamp it. So for us to now go outside of those timestamps mm-hmm. and say, but this part in the middle doesn't apply. Yeah. Doesn't make sense. So let's just start Revelation 1 1. Okay. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants things that must shortly take place. Oh my goodness. It's over. Can we we're done with the show? Goodbye, guys. <laughs> yeah, it's over. That was the whole show. <laughs> I'll keep going, Jason. <laughs> well, I didn't I, 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 <laughs> Revelation 1 3. <laughs> I prepared more than that. But, <laughs> but to me, it's like every single one of these is an open and closed, like, ceiling of the, like, this is it. It must it. soon take place. Here we go. All right. Michelle, you need to get a mic drop sound. So as we make I these. I do need that. Like, I don't know. That wasn't really good. At the that was a nice right. try. <laughs> <laughs> do over. Okay. Revelations 1-3. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keeps these things which are written in it for the time is near. Okay. So what some translations say the time is now. Yes, the time is now, near, now. Yes. So that's Revelation. right there in the first three verses. Yeah. I mean, it even continues. Revelation 119. Um, write, therefore, what you have seen, what is now, and what will take place later. The oh, wow. Young translation says this, write the things that are, the things that are about to come after these things. Ooh. So it's it's timing, time framing it out. And then so good. we can jump to the last book of the Bible, Revelations 22.20. So he who testifies of these things says, surely I am coming quickly. quickly. Amen. Even so, come Lord Jesus. Amen. So literally the first verse and the second to last verse, timestamp it. And we want to make the middle not apply. And there's even more in Revelation 22. There's, I think, two other references to coming quickly that I just didn't read off. Right. We want to pull those out and say, but the rest in the middle, this was a vision of here. And this is a vision of here. Like when I was learning the end times, it was like, well, these are the three seals. This is the short time frame. Then the three 
I can't remember everything. Then these are the longer time frames. It, it was time frames within time frames within time frames is what they were right. teaching. Okay. And it was so confusing. But when you read the word as the word and we don't add preconceived notions, this is what the end times version is for me. It's glasses that are shaded. Yeah. And so everything that I read when I was believing in times, everything was skewed. But now that I see that it's not, something that's futuristic, that it has happened, and that Christ is in us today, that paranoia book, which is powerful, talks about the continual coming of Christ. Yes. He is. He came, and he's continually coming. Every time somebody gets born again, guess what? There's a paranoia. Christ came again. You know, he came in that person and became the, their, their new born-again spirit. Yeah. And that's the continual coming of Christ. He's here, and he's continually coming. He's here and it's continually coming. That's so good. Okay, so what's the next thing on your list? Um, just the other scriptures that aren't necessarily saying coming quickly, but they're actually timestamps. Okay. So like Revelation 1-7. Behold, he is coming with clouds, okay. and every eye will see him, even they who pierced him. That's, yes, they who I pierced can. him. So the question is, was I there? Was I one of the soldiers that pierced him? No. Yeah, they. It's a reference to that generation. Mm -hmm. So, when Jesus in Matthew twenty four is talking about these things will happen within this age, this generation. Mm -hmm. That's a forty year period of time. If you study in the Israel culture, as Jewish people, a generation was considered forty years. Forty years. That's why they spent a generation in the desert because what that generation had to die out, and nobody mm -hmm. over the age of I think twenty three or twenty five made it into the promised land. Right. So even the person, so within a generation of Christ dying on the cross to the fall, that's all had to happen. Right. I, I wasn't there. Were you guys there when Jesus was pierced? Wasn't I wasn't there. there. No. And we didn't, we certainly didn't pierce him. Yeah. And so, and all the tribes on earth will mourn because of him. Even so. Amen. So what's the reference? All the tribes. Yeah. It's back to the Jewish reference. There's more than 12 tribes. Now there's, Nation after nation. There's, what, 209 nations that we're dealing yeah. with now? So well, then Revelation... Go ahead. Well, I was just thinking the tribes, when you think specifically about the tribes mourning, this was a certificate of divorcement. This was a very, this was a reason to mourn, not to mention the fact that a million, a million Jews died. Yeah, so the tribes of the land, um, that could be translated a couple ways and the end timers would translate that as uh, in all the different kingdoms, of, the, but it doesn't say all the kingdoms. Says all the tribes of the land. Well, what land? The Jewish land. The tribes. The tribes of Israel will will mourn, and you know, in 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 accordance with the those who pierced him, that can also be those who had him crucified. So if you put that together, as in the Jewish people, who yes, it was Romans, it was those who pierced him. The Jews actually killed Jesus because they are the ones that brought him up, and and they weren't legally under a Roman law allowed to kill somebody. So they had Rome kill Jesus. So it was like those you who. What did Peter say when he got up with his first sermon? He says, "Jesus, whom you killed, whom you killed." So when you put those two scriptures together, you've got who you killed, who you pierced, all the tribes of the land, 
this whole book of Revelation and the reason why we haven't gotten to the book of Revelation yet, we're trying to lay a foundation with all these other things, is because you, can, you can't understand all the symbolism in Revelation until you're understanding the Old Testament. So um, here, Debbie makes a really good comment, and I want to address this because this is this is a running theme that we hear from dispensationalists, and it can be confusing, and it's important, I think, for us to address this tonight for sure. Debbie says, the Lord has different time than we do. And while you're right, he absolutely does. Here's a clue. Jesus came in the form of a man. Why did he come in the form of a man? He came in the form of man to be touched by all of the things that we are touched with. And he was literally dealing with actual men, brothers who he loved and, and was in a moment with them. And so we've got John, the revelator, also being a man writing literal letters to literal people about literal actual things that were going to come to pass. Nothing would stop God from saying this will happen in the future. Ex because we see that in, in Daniel. We see timestamps in the past where God will put actual dates on things and times to come. And God is not a wishy-washy God. Okay. And so Jesus was looking at the people that he loved. Leah, this is going to happen in your generation. Yeah, let's we, let, you know um, what I mean? Let's let Jason answer that. Well, we'll jump to Revelation 22.10. And he said to me, and this is, do not seal. You referenced this earlier, I think, Leah. Do not seal the words of the prophecy of this, this book, for the time is at hand. Now, let's go back to Daniel 12.4. But you, Daniel, shut up these words and seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. So Daniel, seal up the book. John, do not seal it up because the time is at hand. And so you can see what Daniel, John was giving us the revelation of what was going to happen and being fulfilled in Daniel. And he's like, that's why it wasn't sealed up. Because it was bringing the mysteries of the Daniel's visions and bringing it forward. It was opening the seals. And how yeah. do we know? And you guys go back and please watch um, our episodes on Daniel and the Four Kingdoms. Because Jesus went around telling everybody that the, the, one of the major ap apocalyptic books, end times books for the Jews was Daniel. They knew that the Messiah was mentioned in Daniel. And, they were, and, they, and the Messiah in the book of Daniel was called the Son of Man. So Jesus was trolling them. I'm the Son of Man. I'm the son of man. He didn't say I'm king of kings. Okay. He just kept calling himself the son of man. And it was a, the, it was, it was, he was trolling them, letting, giving them clues saying, go look at Daniel. I'm here now. The kingdom, the kingdom is now. And, and this also goes to Jason, to Jesus coming and saying the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God. If, if this, um, if I, is that where he says, if I've cast out devils, then, you know, the kingdom of God has come near to you. There's so many. We went through a whole episode on the kingdom of God. But Jesus was saying the kingdom of God has come unto you. It's here right now. And so he's saying that Daniel is prop, Dan, that what Daniel prophesied is here now. So there's there's nothing since since God is the same yesterday, today and forever. If Daniel Daniel's prophecy was 500 years and, and he said, seal this up for this is in the future. There's nothing to keep God from saying, seal this up for this is in the, th he would have said, this is in the really far future, four times as long as 
Daniel, right? Absolutely. You basically read my notes, so that's awesome. Okay, okay, <laughs> okay. Go to the next part of your notes then. Um, I'm going to jump back to Revelation 1-9. I, John, both your brother and companion in the tribulation. Oh, whoa. So Circle that, guys. John's telling you what I'm about to tell you is going to be happening and what Jesus told you, I am going to be there for it. So even wow. if later date revelation in 95, 96, and there is a funny conspiracy that John's in some cave in the Middle East and living to until this time. There's actually, I've read that on a, a dispensationalist blog where John's in this magical cave still living. And why um, is that? Because Jesus says, Peter's yeah. like, Hey, you said we're all going to kind of die before you, you know, for, for you. What about that guy? He points to John. He's like, what is it to you if he's alive till I come? Yeah. So he has to be in a cave. Otherwise, once again, it doesn't apply. But so John, both your brother and companion in tribulation and kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ was on an island that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. Mm. And so Revelation 111, I am the Alpha and Omega, the first and last. And what you see, write in a book and send it to the seven churches, which are in Asia, to Ephesus, Samaria, Pergamos, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. Mm -hmm. This book was written to a specific group of churches. These churches do not exist like that right now. They existed like that in the first century after Christ died. So these letters were not randomly chosen. They yeah. were a specific group that John was writing to. And for us to say, because guess what? In Revel in verse 9, he says, I'm a companion in tribulation. Yeah. Verse 11 is naming the groups that he's going to be in the tribulation with that yeah. don't exist today. Yeah, I've... Yeah. You have to dismantle just normal Bible, how you interpret the Bible to make the end times fit. No, you're right there. And I have heard so many people try to explain who the Church of Ephesus is today, who Pergama is today, who Philadelphia. Everybody wants to be Philadelphia. I'm Philadelphia, just to let you know. <laughs> I don't know about y'all. They're the ones that didn't get in trouble. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so what, what's, what's, what's the next thing that kind of really stuck out to you? That was really the big ones was the, in, for me, the internal evidence. Okay. Just the, I don't know, bringing it back to that Daniel. It's mm -hmm. literally for 500 years, he said to seal this up. But then John says, the time is at hand. And so back to that whole timeline question. God, yes, there is cosmos time and chronological time. Mm -hmm. We live in chronological time. You know what? Christ came as the son of man to the chronological time. Yeah. Name how long he lived. And so there is times that Ooh, you can good. see clearly that he was referencing things that were not chronological. But as we look at this, he is, there's chronological timestamps. Yeah. Within the book of Revelation that clearly dated to before 70 AD, before the fall of the temple, the destruction of the temple, and destruction of Jerusalem. But there is times where we have cosmos time. And at some point, We'll be back to what I call Garden 2.0, where we're living in the cosmos time in all things. 
but we're not there. We're in, currently in the phase of restoration of all things. Yeah. We're on cosmos. They're not together like they should be. Ooh, and that's, that's really this natural and spiritual need to come together um, as we're working to the restoration of all things. You know, um, there's a late date advocate, William Milligan, conceded in 1893 that recent scholarship has, with little exception, decided in favor of the earlier and not the later date. Two decades later, in 1910, early date advocate Philip Schaeff could still confirm Milligan's report that the early date is now accepted by perhaps the majority of scholars. Generally, it is the practice of late date advocates to begin with the evidence of tradition, like Irenaeus, while early date advocates start with the evidence of the self-witness. So, Jason, that's what you're saying. And another one of those self-witnesses is the temple in Revelation chapter 11. So when you go to Revelation chapter 11, verses 1 and 2, we read, And there was given me a reed like unto a rod, and an angel stood, saying, Rise and measure the temple of God and the altar, and bring them that worship therein. But the court which is without the temple leave out, and do not measure it, for it is given unto the Gentiles. And the holy city shall they tread underfoot for forty uh, and two months. So we actually see in, in the book of Revelation, as John is talking, that the temple is still standing. To me, yes, I get, behold, I come quickly. But the absolute most intense thing that could happen to the Jewish nation was the destruction of their temple. And it's not mentioned one time in the book of Revelation. And in fact, the, the author, had, it, it, see, it's, it's, it's up. It's up. When he wrote this, the temple was still standing. And there's nothing else to it. Like, how do people explain John saying that talking about the temple and not even mentioning that the temple was destroyed that's where we get the rebuilt temple though talking about the temple means that of course it must be rebuilt because it's in there this is the cognitive dissonance instead of john must have written this while the temple was still standing it's well we know he wrote it after the temple was destroyed so that means that when this gets fulfilled there has to be a temple again well and it says in the holy city shall they tread underfoot for 42 months Okay, that's your three and a half years. Well, if he wrote it after the destruction of Jerusalem, that's a heck of a lot of imagination. <laughs> to have it all be rebuilt, to be tread under foot again. Why Why no mention of the rebuilding of but Jerusalem to be no destroyed again? why no mention of the actual destruction in that place? Like, I listen, I'm, I'm a writer. I love to write. If I'm writing this, even if I'm writing it as a factual story instead of a fictional story, I'm going to word, and it will be tread underfoot for 42 months exactly the way that it was very recently yeah. that we saw that it was tread underfoot for 42 months. Like, they literally saw it. Why not reference it? Why not say it's going to happen exactly the way that it just did? Again. Why not say it that way? You know, I'll bring it out. We had a pretty crazy storm Sunday, early Sunday morning, like 1230. So Saturday night, Sunday morning. And guess what they're immediately doing? Referencing it back to the next thing that was close to the ice storm or two. They're immediately saying, this is as bad as the ice storm of 2007. Now, I wasn't out here in Tulsa, but they're immediately drawing conclusions. I was listening to the news on the way home from work today, and they were talking about every time that the wind – in the last like 100 years has blown over 70 miles per hour because we had wind gusts 
of around 100 miles per hour. So they're now going back and saying, in this year, in this year, it blew at 75 miles per hour at the airport. And they start going, what? And referencing everything. But John doesn't do that. If I'm writing, a, even now, like you were earlier referenced, where if I'm writing something, say, man, there is going to be a war that's worse than anything we've ever seen. Even worse than World War II, where there was atomic bombs dropped that destroyed whole cities, this World War III is going to be worse. Yes. And John's not sitting there saying, hey, guys, you, some of you may have been told by your, grand, your parents about the destruction in 70 A.D., what I'm saying that this revelation it's going to be worse than anything that they saw. Right. There's no. There's no reference to that. You I, make such an excellent point with that story. Well, and then that then he would only be talking to people under twenty. So no, he would be saying, "You guys, you know Jerusalem that was destroyed that you saw." You know what I find fascinating is at nine eleven, how many people died? It was over three thousand. All right, three thousand people. All right, it irrevocably changed the, and altered the course of our nation because terrorists or whoever you want to say we can go down the rabbit trail because this thing happened and 3,000 3, people died mm -hmm. and yet you, these dispensationalists want me to believe that John is writing this letter after the destruction of Jerusalem after a million Jews have died in the most destruction that the Jews had seen ever from the from Abraham till then it was like the worst thing that had ever happened to them. And yet John's just so concerned about this thing that happens 2,000 years in the future. And it has nothing whatsoever to do with what just happened 20 years ago. Yeah. I mean, that doesn't... I'm sorry. I don't buy it. If I am a juror on this panel here in this courtroom, I'm done now at this point. I'm um, not buying it. Yeah, I'm I, literally not buying it. Yeah. You know, and it also goes on to say, um, and this is... It's uh, in, in, in Revelation chapter 11, it's talking about the two witnesses. And I know that a lot of people want to know who the two witnesses are. Well, can we date the book of Revelation first? Okay, so we can figure out who the two witnesses are. Uh, and now when they had finished their testimony, the beast com that comes up from the abyss will attack them and overpower and kill them. And their bodies, the two witnesses' bodies, will lie in the public square of the great city, which is figuratively called Sodom and Egypt, where also... The Lord was crucified. Okay. So we have again in, in chapter 11 verses 1 and 2. We're looking at internal clues. I was given a read like a measuring line. It was told go and measure the temple of God in the altar and its worshipers. And, quote, and they will trample the holy city. So for 42 months. Three and a half years. They are John is referencing a city that is standing. A city that is built, a city that has not been trampled, a temple that has not been destroyed, okay? And they would be, and, and, and the two witnesses would be killed and their bodies would lie in the public square of that great city where Jesus was crucified. So this is a specific place. It is Jerusalem. It is a Jerusalem that has not been destroyed yet. And that's another, that's, that to me should be another open and, and, and John and Jason, when we're bringing several open and shut cases, why would anybody keep going back to the later date? Honestly, it's, I guess I'll, it's going to come off strong. We're believing more in theories of man than the word of God. That's yeah. Wow. 
yeah. we're believing in what we've been taught as a theory Traditions. than what is actually exposed in the word of God. So this goes to Luke 21, verse 6, where Jesus tells his disciples that the temple will soon be destroyed stone by stone. And a comparison of Luke 21, 24 and Revelation 11, 2 strongly suggests that the source of the Revelation statement is Christ's word in Luke 21. So Luke 21 says, Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. And Revelation says, it is given to the Gentiles and the holy city shall be trend underfoot for 40 and, and uh, two months. And we know that the Jewish uh, rebellion and the revolt lasted for three and a half years. Coincidence. Which is 42 months. Pretty. <laughs> 1260 days. <laughs> Purely coincidental. We know that the uh, Jewish war with Rome was formally engaged in the spring of AD 67 and was won with the collapse of the temple in August of AD 70. This is a period of 42 months. It is the precise measurement. To me, Jason, when we're talking about like Matthew 24 and like this particular prophetic word, it's such an amazing Christian apologetic for John to have prophesied precisely 42 months. And, and he, and it was just getting ready to happen. And Jason, why is it so hard for us to believe that John would have a, a very accurate, a guy who knew Jesus personally would have an accurate prophetic word for something that was just getting ready to happen. And then, but now we're listening to Amanda Grace and all these other prophets and we're looking to them for prophetic words that are, that are going to happen about Trump and all these things. Can you restate the question? I'm not following the Okay, question. so like everybody in our particular movement is open to, to prophets telling us what's going to happen today. What's going to happen tomorrow? What's going to happen with Trump? What's going to happen with all these things? But then when it goes to John, who was right there next to Jesus, he Same. gets he gets a an absolute accurate pro prophetic word. Jerusalem's getting gonna gonna be uh, trampled underfoot for forty two months, and we just like blow it, blow it. Just never mind, forget it. That can't that can't be. It's too perfect. It's too per yeah. Well, it's not that it's too perfect. The dispensationalists believe it's still going to happen. They've just taken it and removed it from the proper time frame and said, we don't know. One of the big scriptures, we don't know the day, hour, or the time that these things will happen. Because they, they love to use that. We don't know the day or the time that this will happen. And actually, in reference to the one, um, the Jewish feast, it's one of the fall Jewish feasts. I can't think of it. They didn't know exactly when to start because back then they didn't have the whole calendars. They would have people out watching to see when the moon was at the right point and then they would blow the trumpet i think it's the feast of trumpets now i say it. blow the trumpet to the sign that this is the feast has started based off the moon that's awesome yeah and that was because it would happen of one or two days because they didn't have it down to exactly when the moon would be just right so they would be on watch yeah because they didn't know the day or the time oh that's so good that when it would be at wow. the right then they would blow the trumpets so that I'd never heard that before. That yeah. is so fascinating. I want to go back. Bible school. 
<laughs> I want to go back to you talking about cosmos versus chronological time. Here we see a timestamp, and you are right. Dispensationalists would take those 42 months, and they would probably say it's going to be a literal 42 months when it actually happens. Well, that's so why how, you get pre-trip, post-trip, mid-trip. So how is it that they choose when to apply cos cosmos time or chronological time? What? Where do? Why do they get to? Make oh, the so it's quickly. But 42 is definitely 42 months. Exactly. Well, that's why there's pre-trib, post-trib, mid-trib, don't know trib. I mean, let's just go through it. There's so many things because I, if I'm just saying, well, this is a unknown thing, I can place it wherever I want. I can pull this scripture out of context and place it here and say, this applies to this. And mm -hmm. like, that's what, when I literally, when I went through the class Daniel Revelation, it was like, I'm pulling this here and tying it to these teen things over here, but the very next verse, I'm tying it to something completely different. That's and it mean. just made me go, that's not how I would read a book, how I'd read a letter, how I'd read anything. And this was a letter to the people of that generation. You know what I love? I, I saw somebody write uh, something about this, that it was a letter to old Jerusalem about new Jerusalem. Ooh. That's good. That, that's a whole that's a whole show in itself. We are talking about and I guess and I know we only got got you for for a little bit uh, longer and I want you to kind of you know take the last like 10 minutes or whatever and just say whatever you want to say uh, before you got to sign off but um, the gravity of Jerusalem being destroyed and the temple being destroyed why don't Christians understand that? Why don't they get how important it is to have that to that that temple being destroyed? Like it's there's no more sacrifices and what the temple meant to the Jews of that time. And I guess when I was getting to the prophetic word about Amanda Grace, why wouldn't the disciples and, and the apostles be prophesying? It's getting ready to happen soon. It's getting ready to happen soon. This, this, it's going to happen soon. And why wouldn't they be telling people, guys, Jerusalem's getting ready to be destroyed. It's going to catch on fire. This temple's going to be destroyed. Hey, guys, get ready, get ready, get ready, get ready. Especially if we add to the fact that a lot of people that believe in dispensationalism don't believe in the gifts now because they believe that the words of prophecy were for only that time. So they had the gift of prophecy and they were the only ones that had the gift of prophecy. And yet for some reason they missed this. Yeah. What's interesting is... You're like, why wouldn't there be warnings in the rest of the New Testament? There is. But when you have the lens of end times dispensationalists, you, I, until, like, I, there's not a week that goes by that I don't read something as I'm reading the Bible that I go, oh my, that applies to then. Yeah. This letter was written to that generation. Wow, there's another warning of the destruction of the temple. This is Jesus warning them again. Yeah. Like, we focus on Matthew 23, 24. But he was talking about the kingdom yes. and what was going to happen with the old covenant yes. over and over and over. Yeah. When I'm looking at it with a futuristic <laughs> mindset, I miss everything that he was telling that ginger. Because we take, we, we think, man, there's a whole, there's a word for it. And I can't think of it. When we apply the scriptures to us, so yeah. much that we don't realize the cultural and the context and what it was written. So, it has everything has to apply to me, so I make everything futuristic and I don't apply it to what was written and how it prophetically applied 
to that generation. Yeah. Yeah. And there, and he, and he does the, and you're absolutely right there. When I, when I, my question to was to the in in timers, why wouldn't these guys be telling people they were? It's in Peter. It's in First Thessalonians. It's in First uh, First John. It's it's in it's in pretty much it's in Hebrews where he says these things are passing away. The coming of our Lord it draws near. It's at hand. He's coming. He's coming. He's coming. Uh, did it mean that they had a full vision of what it would look like afterwards? And I think Michelle and I were having this conversation today. Um, the Old Testament is filled with all the, the promises that the Jews were looking for. The land promises, Deuteronomy 8 and 28, the new covenant, uh, the lion laying down with a lamb, the kingdom expanding. And you don't see Peter or Paul farming. You don't see them planting things. Why? Because the coming of Jesus had to be fulfilled and they were setting it up. Okay. And they're looking towards this final thing in AD 70 to usher in the rest of all of these prophetic words and, and, and expanding and setting up the kingdom. Because Paul is saying in 1 Corinthians, hey guys, this time is a little crazy. Maybe you shouldn't even be getting married. Well, is that a forever scripture? No. <laughs> no, that's not a forever scripture. Okay. God, all these scriptures now uh, have been like, it's like you ordered a book at the library and it's sitting on the shelf on hold, which is all the promises in the Old Testament. And you're just not going to go. You're just not getting it. It's there. It's got your name on it, but you're waiting for something else. All right. So we've got a few more uh, minutes left. I want you to, to sum up kind of why this is important to you and anything else that you have on your heart about the, the book of Revelation. And not only that, but we haven't had you on the show in a while and you're going to be out of town for the next few weeks. You're going to come and visit us. So we will Chase, be- it's coming to Sitsi. So that'll be awesome. We're really so there excited. There will probably be a special live or something. I don't know. Yes. We'll, we'll do something when we're at God's heavenly acre. 100% we will. So anything that you have thoughts that, that, that cover the whole subject because we haven't seen you in a few weeks on the show, if anything's been standing out to you, go ahead and give it to us now um, before we let you go for tonight. I'm going to take it out to the broad, the big scope view of what the kingdom message includes. And so first, it includes Jesus. He's the way, the truth, the life. We got to understand the fullness of salvation and the restoration of all things that he talked about. Then we got to understand the whole Holy Spirit. These are things that I know as we've been doing Revelation Red Pill, the Kingdom Roundtable, these are things we've hit, and they're things that are the keys to the kingdom. Holy Spirit, baptism of the Holy Ghost. God, for one of the things that really helped me in this journey of the kingdom is understanding God's character and nature. Mm. The dispensationalist message, the futuristic message, does not align with the God that I know, the God that I serve, the God that I love. That is such a, I'm going to give you this, but then I'm going to destroy it. When there's scripture, there's scripture that says, no, then they meek inherit the earth. The earth will never be destroyed. All these things. So for me, two things God spoke to me. It's probably been a year and a half ago. I want you to study the fullness of what Christ did on the cross, which led to the fullness of what happened with the Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came and then to, to 70 AD and under, study the character and nature of God. 
because this is something that has been said about me because it was God defines himself as what God is love. Mm. But a lot of people see God as wrath. You'll never fully grasp the kingdom message. If you still think God's a God of wrath Ooh. because you think he's going to destroy the earth. Wow. But you want to see the side of Jason that is wrathful mess with my family. Right. If you look at the Old Testament when things happened, what was God doing? He was protecting his chosen people to bring forth the Messiah that would set, set free the whole cosmos. Ooh. For Jesus came to what? To die. He died for the whole world, not just for Israel, the whole world. So he had to protect the, the family line of Israel to bring the Messiah that sets the whole cosmos free. Wow. That's really good. I've literally never thought of that. That's so good. I love that. I love that you are asking. That kind of goes with me when I ask God, Jesus to show me himself in the Old Testament. I'm like, how do I, how did other people spread the gospel before the New Testament? Show me yourself in the Old Testament. And that's when it just blew it all out of the water. And I was like, I think we're missing a few things yep. for real. Yeah. So. Then I'm just going to quickly go through the rest of what I see the kingdom message included that we've been teaching and just asking God to reveal to all of us and to everybody that listens is our identities. We're sons and daughters. We're kings and queens. We're priests. We are the bride of Christ. The kingdom message includes, it's one of the bigger pieces of it is the land blessings of provinces. Corey brought that forth so well, the blessings of Abraham. One of the things is freedom and prosperity of the nations. Um, the manifestation of heaven and earth, I call it Garden 2.0. I have a whole diagram that oh, Corey so said. He, he said, I'll buy you a whiteboard if you get on and record and teach this. So I'll probably do that once I get back from trips. 70 AD fulfilled the second coming, the great white throne judgment, and the marriage supper land, which we covered two of those, I believe, in, future, in earlier um, things. Satan and demons are judged. Our job is to evict them to as Corey says to the lake of fire yes um, in prayer praying through things praying against mindsets thoughts ideas strongholds that are from the evening even though he's defeated just like hitler's no longer here but they're still nazis because mm -hmm. what he put into the earth and thoughts and mindsets still prevail and so we have to be fight and fighting attack the attack as you girls say um is praying through things is going after even though he's defeated, he likes to roar, roar as though, but he's in line with no teeth. And so we have to take our authority to enforce what's been done for us. It's kind of like this. There's a court decree that's in our favor. Mm -hmm. The court is waiting for us to enforce it. Yes. And that's what we're here to do. The kingdom message is us enforcing what Christ has done and saying this is the land that has been promised. This is the kingdom that will come forth. This is heaven on earth. This is the blessings of promise Abraham. This is what we're going to walk in. And the land is going to be plentiful just as the garden was. And we're going to see greater things because that's what Christ said. Ah, oh, that's Boom. it. Boom. There's my mic drop. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I can't help it. Jace, that's so awesome. So guys, we're going to continue to go through Leah's blog tonight. We've got another about hour and 15 minutes left with you that we're going to really dig into more proofs and more of this 
I don't think you need any more, but we'll bring in some external proofs, some some church fathers. Don't go anywhere, but Jason, thank you for joining us tonight. I know you only had a brief time, but say hi to the family. And this is, uh, the Lord spoke to me just now. I I had wanted, and I say had, because we're not going to do this. I had wanted, I had this thought, like, let's, you know, pray with Jason right now. Let's get into the Holy Spirit, you know, before he leaves and let's pray. And God literally stopped me and he said, no, you'll do that when you get in person, because there's something that's going to be very, very powerful when we get in person with Jason and Cassie, his wife, and we are going to be praying things out in the spirit and getting words of wisdom and knowledge for the, for you guys. That will be our live video. And we will do that when they get to town. And I'm really Look excited about that. July 9th, July 9th. Look for a special in yes. the evening sometime. Look for a special. I'm really excited about that. So the Lord literally said, wait, reserve that. And we will, because there's nothing more powerful than praying in the spirit that's speaking in tongues with fellow believers and we're going to give that to you guys so jason thank you for coming on tonight this has been way better than i even expected safe travels yeah thank you bye all right okay. yeah all right i am so glad that jason came on because by the mouth of two or three witnesses shall every word be established and he's so he does he's done so much research and it's so it's so it came comes right out of him so simply right yeah. it makes so much sense and we went through a, a a good portion of what I was what I was going to go under go over. So I'm going to go back a little bit to Revelation uh, 11:2. So Jerusalem and the temple would were to be under assault for a period of 42 months. So we know from history that the Jewish war with Rome. I'm going to go over this one more time. Was formally engaged in spring of AD 67, and was one with the collapse of the temple in AD 70. This is a period of 42 months, which fits the pre- precise measurement of John's prophecy. Thus, John's prophecy. Uh, just actually predates the Jewish war. It has to. Yeah. It has to. There's, it has to. After the reverence of the destruction of the temple of God in the quote, holy city, John later speaks of the new Jerusalem coming down from heaven. So let's put these two together. This is so cool. This is so cool. I'm ready. He talks about the destruction of the previous holy city. Mm. He's prof- he's prophesying the destruction of Jerusalem. Yeah. Where everybody... Why was it called the holy city? Because you had to go there to, to, to hook up with God. Oh, that's really good. You had to go there even during the time of the apostles. They were still going to the temple. Yeah. They were still meeting in the synagogues. God had to end all of that. He had to say, this city is not where I'm dwelling anymore. Mm. And he allowed the time of the Gentiles... He gave, he gave Jerusalem over to the Gentiles, but here's the thing. He predicted that he would. Yeah. He let us know that he would. Yeah. Oh Lord, why is Jerusalem destroyed? Why is there not a stone left upon another Herod's temple? Which did you guys know was a wonder of the world? Just, I, I want to sit on this for just a second, guys. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying with what, how is it that the end timers can't see that John would prophesy this? That no, exactly. The, the greatest thing to ever, the worst thing to ever happen to Jerusalem. Do what do we have as far as like maybe in America? I I mean, do, do we even have anything that is? I mean, there's a Sistine Chapel that's as equivalent as you know iconic America. I mean, the the only thing that I have is maybe the Statue of Liberty, um, because. Not that the Statue of Liberty is beautiful. I don't think that she is, but whatever. Okay. It's iconic to Americans. It means something to us. Let me give you maybe an example. 
Washington, D.C. totally raised to the ground. The whole city. The whole city. All of it. All of it raised to the ground. Every, the Capitol. The, 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 That's really the, good. The, That's the, excellent. The White House, all the monuments, the Lincoln, and totally destroyed. And then John says nothing. The, the Lincoln Memorial. And then 20 years all from now. All of our museums, right, that hold a whole host of and the then, Smithsonian's And the we history. reference, and some prophet references the destruction of the White House again. And the destruction of Washington D.C. without even mentioning that it had just been completely raised. So, so essentially, we're supposed to believe that it, it it was completely destroyed. All the monuments that Americans hold dear, right? Essentially, let's can we throw in uh, because America's so big? Can we throw in Mount Rushmore? Can we throw in the Statue of Liberty? Can we throw in everything that um, that makes Americans go like something? Because into the your temple heart? was everything. It was everything. So imagine that literally everything that we hold dear. All the monuments completely gone, and then it's referenced that all of that will happen again, but the rebuilding of it is not but it's mentioned. Never referenced that, and it, the first time is never referenced. Like, it, hey, remember when this happened? We the still first talk time? about nine eleven right now. We still talk about nine eleven. Yeah, so you've got after the reverence of the destruction of the temple of God in the holy city, John later speaks of the New Jerusalem coming down from heaven, which is called the holy city. So we have. Here's, here's my other question. Are you seated in, in heavenly places? Now, yes. Do you live out of the New Jerusalem? Yes, ma'am. He had to destroy the old to bring in the new. And, uh, and there's no reason to destroy something in the... I don't even remember, say it. There's no reason to destroy something again. Remember the holy city that comes down in Revelation 21? There's no temple there. There's no need for a temple. There's no reference of a temple. Yeah. Okay. Uh, this new Jerusalem is apparently meant to supplant the old Jerusalem and its temple system. The old order temple was destroyed August AD 70. Thus, while John wrote, the temple was still standing, awaiting its approaching doom. John was tight with Jesus. Jesus was coming. He's telling him, I'm going to destroy this, this city. And you see that? And he, he pointed to it. <laughs> he literally... So Jesus is standing there. With you and me, and he goes, he's like, in your lifetime, you see that White House, you see that Capitol, it's gone. And then it's gone, and nobody says anything. And, like, he literally, he literally told the disciples, he pointed to that temple, and he said, well, before this generation is out, not one stone is going to be laid upon another of that temple. So when, you know, we bring this up over and over again on Revelation Red Pill, and I'm going to be straight up honest with you guys, because I do have anger issues. I'm, I, I've, I've really come to grips with them in my later years, but it literally makes me angry that dispensationalists don't ever address the fact that they refuse to talk about the greatest apologetic for, tell me it's going to happen again. Fine. I don't care. That's a dis we can have that separate discussion. But why on earth are you dispensationalists not teaching the greatest apologetic of Jesus' existence here on earth when he said one thing was going to happen and it was the most amazing, and not amazing like in a good sense, but like awe, like oh my gosh, crazy thing. And it literally happened and you guys refused to talk about it. In the time it. that he said that it would. You guys refuse to, 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 to use it as a proof because somehow you're afraid that it might keep people from believing your lies. I just, I can't. It makes me angry that this, our church history, has been robbed from the vast majority of Christians. So if John wrote this, 
because the temple is it, while john wrote the temple was still standing john saw the temple still standing awaiting its approaching doom john saw that john saw a temple standing that was going to be destroyed in the holy city destroyed right that's what john saw okay so john wrote this 25 years after all of that that's insane that's insane the reference to the temple is a, a hard architectural evidence that gets us back to the pre uh 70 era uh, an early date uh, is not possible, dispensationalists say, because of the testament of Irenaeus. And I'm going to go over this a little bit more. Okay. Uh, the disciple of uh, Polycarp. So let's let's break this down a little bit more. Okay. You read all that already. There okay. So this is where we're at. Kurt Simmons cites the following opinion by Robert Young, the author of Young's Analytical Concordance in his commentary on Revelation. It was written about 1885 before the end time nonsense came about and i have this blog up and you guys can you can put it in I the have chat the, i have the link in the chat it was written in patmos around 8068 where john had been banished by Demetrius nero as stated in the title of the syriac version of the book and with this occurs the express statement of irenaeus in ad 175 who says it happened in the reign of dametenu i.e. Domitus Nero, Plissus, uh, Orosius, etc., stupidly mistaking uh, Domitiano uh, for uh, on Ikos, supposed, supposed Irenaeus to refer to Domitian in AD 95. And most succeeding writers have fallen into the same blunder. The internal testimony is wholly in favor of the early date. So even this particular Bible commentary says that the Irenaeus quote, even as wrong as he was on many things, he was not referencing Domitian in AD 95. He was referencing Nero. So even this particular quote shows it was Nero. That's what it's saying. So Ken Gentry records the following quote from uh, moratorian canon written around 170 AD. So we're at 170 AD. The blessed apostle Paul, following the rule of his predecessor, John writes to no more than seven churches by name. John too, indeed in the apocalypse, although he writes to only seven churches yet addresses all. So this is very interesting. Did you know Paul only addressed seven churches? Right. And then John addresses seven churches. So by calling John the predecessor of Paul and saying that Paul followed John's rule, the writer of this canon clearly taught that John wrote to the seven churches, Revelation 2 to 3, before Paul finished writing all of his epistles. The uh, mona, the mona, how do you say that? Monarchian. Monarchian prologues dating back to 250 to 350 AD makes the same claim. It's universally agreed that Paul died in 67 to 68 AD. So basically saying that John was writing the seven churches that Paul had already established and written to and Paul stopped writing. Paul died in 67 to 68, 68. So those seven churches had to have already been established. And that's, that's what he's talking about. He had to he taught that John wrote to the seven churches before Paul finished writing all of his epistles. Very interesting. 
that I, I can't so it says that. by calling John the predecessor of Paul yeah meaning that he was writing this before Paul had finished writing all of his epistles mm -hmm. then clearly John couldn't have written it afterwards afterwards yeah, yeah that makes sense other sources during the first several centuries after Christ also refer to an earlier date for the writing of Revelation even explicitly so uh Kritcher, I don't know how to say that Kritcher, how do you, would you say that's that? a weird name stupid name sorry no offense uh, cites statements from three sources. The uh, Moratorian fragment dating to 170 to 190 AD overtly states that the book of Revelation was written during the reign of Nero. Okay. The ancient Syriac version of the New Testament dated in the 6th century or earlier echoes this statement that, quote, Revelation was written during the reign of Nero. So the, one of the earliest New Testaments in the 500 AD says yeah. that says that it was written during the reign of so Nero. we have to throw the all of those out in yeah. order to listen to Irenaeus's very um obscured, weirdly, obscured, weirdly and, yeah. and not translated we don't have any more actual original source and documents it's from of it. latin it's not even an early greek writing or right. anything it's a latin version so we throw out all these other proofs to hold on to one that is standing on a house of cards yeah the aramaic uh peshita version which has become uh which had become the standard aramaic syriac translation by early fifth century has a remark that places its date prior to 70 a.d so to Tertullian, an early church father who lived in about 145 to 220 AD, seems to place John's banishment to Patmos at the same time as the martyrdom of Peter and Paul, and that would make the most sense for the, the highest amount of persecution to be happening at one exactly. time. Exactly. So these guys are going to die, and then what is it that this guy, John, will tarry and stay and, t and live until yeah. I come? So who, uh, who we know were killed during the reign of Nero prior to his own death. So Nero was killed in AD 68. So Paul and Peter were killed in the Nero. Uh, so I I am, fir I am firm that, that Nero banished. Sure banished uh paul but let's let's go on let's hear what other people have to say in his writing exclusion of the heretics speaking of the history of rome he said he had he had this to say uh on which the apostles poured out all of their doctrine with their blood where peter had a like passion with the lord meaning um he was crucified upside down like christ but upside down where Paul bathed for his uh, crown the same death as with, with John, where the apostle John was plunged into boiling oil and suffered nothing and was afterwards banished to an island. And so, he actually wrote that around 100. So that was Tertullian, and he was born in 145 AD. So he's saying all of these things happened at the exact same time. And he was like, so it was a generation... Maybe a generation or two after John, and he is saying that this right there in the very early church, it had already been gone. It had already gone around that John was put in boiling water and, and he couldn't die. Right, and that's really cool. That's like 145 and Leah, AD. Leah, let me ask you this question before we move on. So we've got all of the disciples who were killed. Mm -hmm. Okay. And we've got one, only one guy left. And Jesus had said, what is it to you if he's alive when I come? Why would Jesus leave one alive? As a witness. As a witness, but also to write the book of Revelation. Yeah. Right before it was going to happen. Yeah. It makes absolute total sense. To get people ready. I mean, come on. And 
he knew he was going to write Revelation. He's going to reveal himself to him right before all this is going to happen. Exactly. He's a disciple that Jesus loved. Right. So Jerome, 340 uh, to 420 AD and others confirmed in their writings that it was Nero who had John plunged in, into boiling oil. Domitian didn't do that kind of craziness. Well, let me ask you this, Leah. Domitian did some persecution, but he didn't dip anybody in oil. Well, no, that's fine. So so, so it's Nero that plunges John in boiling oil. Mm -hmm. John can't die. And Nero just, what, gives up and lets him loose? No, he banishes him to the Isle of Patmos. Yeah, so based on their testimony and taken together with this quote from Tertullian, it was also Nero who had John ban banished to Patmos. Of course, the possibility exists that John was banished twice to the Isle of Patmos. Um, Eusebius, 263, his own writings echoed Irenaeus's controversial statement, wrote that both Nero and Domitian were known for banishing individuals to various islands, but that Domitian showed more mercy and restraint. Quoting from Tertullian, Eusebius said, Domitian also, who possessed a share of Nero's cruelty, attempted once to do the same thing that the latter Nero did, but because he had, I suppose, some intelligence, he very soon ceased and even recalled those whom he had banished. Um, so Dennis Todd uh, uh, writes that any campaign of terror during Domitian's reign was rather selective, unlike Nero's time, was generally aimed at a couple influential no, this members. This is L.L. Thompson, okay. not that it matters. And even members of his family suspected of political conspiracy rather than towards actual Christians. Uh, as far as these testimonies were reliable, then John found himself on Patmos during the reign of Nero. Titus, Titus Flavus Clemens, AD 150 to 215, was a presbyter bishop in the Church of Alexandria about 189 AD, known as the Clement of Alexandria, says, Hear the story that is no mere story, but a true account of John the Apostle that has been handed down and preserved in memory. When after the death of the tyrant... He removed from the island of Patmos to Ephesus. He used to journey by request to neighboring districts of the Gentiles and in some of the places to appoint bishops in the others to regulate whole churches and in others to set among the clergy some uh, one man it may be of those indicated by the spirit. So this is where you get the idea that you've got, okay, so Domitian was not called the tyrant. Nero was called the tyrant, okay? And after the, he, this doesn't mention at all a, a, a second banishment to Patmos. This is one banishment to Patmos. And when he left that banishment, he began to travel. So he's what, 105? So do Going we Going around traveling from church to church? This is insane. Do we know when Domitian died? Yeah, you can, you can Google it. I was, well, I need to figure out which Domitian it is, actually. Uh, find out when Domitian died, because here's the question. What Leah just read 96 there, AD. All right, so in 96 AD, and John is how old at that time? We don't know exactly how old John was compared to Jesus, but we can guess that he was a few years younger than Jesus, maybe. Um, so he could have been maybe 90 at, maybe 90 and 96. Okay, so we've got... So we've got John at 90 or 96. The tyrant is Domitian, according to the dispensationalists. And afterwards, he, he leaves Patmos because he doesn't have to stay there anymore because the tyrant that banished him is gone. Mm -hmm. Then he goes and he journeys by horseback, by the way. That's not included in this quote, That's but we'll get to that one. a little bit. Journeys by horseback. And by well, request, to the neighboring districts, the Gentiles, This is these are not... And he did it. He so did, there's that no he cars. Was, and he was appointing bishops, right? Yes. 
and whole church. He's running the whole church. He's literally running the whole church in his 90s, which that's fine. Okay. But what makes the most sense? And keep in mind that the only evidence that we have in favor of a later date of the book of Revelation is that quote by Irenaeus. Yeah. So the, in, in the Sibylline oracles, probably written by a Jew sometime before AD uh, 180, Nero is called the great beast, a frightful and terrible snake on a gauge in making himself equal to God. You know, we've talked about the beast. We did. If you guys didn't see the episode on the Antichrist, go watch that. That was last week. Pliny the Elder, a contemporary of Nero, described Nero as the destroyer of the human race and a poison of the world. Uh, Apollon, Apollonius of Ty, Tyana, 4 BC, says that Nero cannot be 4 BC. I think uh, it means it. I don't know what that means. Says that Nero was commonly called the Oh, tyrant. that's when he was born. Okay. Yeah. Nero was commonly called the tyrant, this beast. I know not how many heads it has, nor if it be crooked by a claw and of wild beast. You cannot say that they were ever known to eat their own mothers, but Nero has gorged himself on this diet. Mm. A number of late-date proponents, um, those who believe it was written in 96 AD, admit that it's very difficult to find evidence that Christians were undergoing any significant persecution. And why is it important? Because in the very beginning of the book he says i am a companion in your tribulation i'm a companion in your in your tribulation this is a and he's writing to seven churches so they're all undergoing intense and persecution but there's and Domitian, no evidence of that Domitian did not do intense persecution and it was not aimed at christians right the only intense persecution was nero the only intense persecution well, no, that it he says would have been Domitian was kind of cray cray but then he ended but up it was not bit focused on christians right it was just he, kind of like i'm just gonna be cray cray he he went after uh, a few people in higher up places but it wasn't a christian persecution right okay Nero, and it didn't say that he was known to persecute everyone it said that he was known to banish people to islands yes but he was known amongst the other romans yeah as being a little cray cray but not we're talking to seven christian churches under christian persecution right and he says i am your companion in this great tribulation and he, then he talks he talks to which churches he talked to and he says you uh 10 of you are going to be killed for your faith that would have been perfectly fit right into the reign of nero but not into domitian right. so um what has happened is even if what's what's what is incredibly cognitive dissonance is that that John is writing people in the time that is happening to them because these things are happening to them. Because he but said then, the time is now. Well, no, because these things are literally happening. Like historically, we know these like they yeah. were persecuted. Like right. these are real these are real churches. So when Paul writes to Corinth, he's writing to Corinth. He's not writing to you. When Carl was writing to the church in Ephesus, he's writing to the church of Ephesus. But somehow we take the book of Revelation and we say he's writing to people in the future and not to the church of Corinth and not to the church of Ephesus and not to the Thyatira. So we must first ask, the, before we take a... Do you understand what I'm saying? Uh, before we take a futuristic look at what do these books and these letters mean to us today, the very first thing that we must ask ourselves is what does it mean to them? And then we can... And so the fact that the... 
that the church, we got, guys, I'm about to go on a rant. The fact that we go to church every single week for years and years and years and years and years, and all we hear is a bunch of Joel Osteen, how to make us feel good and maybe an occasional fire and brimstone, but no actual teaching of the word of God and what it meant and take things in context yeah. first. Yeah. In order for you to be able to understand what something means esoterically, figuratively, you must first understand what it meant literally, and then you can expound on that and find the nuances we for what it means today. We do not see John saying to these seven churches, this really important letter that I'm writing you seven churches. And by the way, hard break, let's jump forward 2,000 years. Right. So let me continue to read this because I want to get this thought finished here. So... As far as these late day pro proponents, there's so many that admit that there is really difficult to find evidence that Christians were undergoing any significant persecution from Rome in that decade. Um, it says, therefore, it's not easy to imagine why John would have been banished to Patmos at that time, something that only Rome could do, by the way. Okay. So this guy, George Eldon Ladd in 1987, a prominent New Testament scholar who teaches that Revelation was written during Domitian's reign, nevertheless had this to say. The problem with this theory, and he even admits in 1987 that it is a theory, is that there is no evidence that during the last decade of the first century there occurred any open and systemic persecution of the church. And there are several other um, people that back that up. Yeah, so Andreas, writing in the year of 500 AD, said regarding Revelation 6, 12 through 13, There are not wanting i.e. it is not hard to find, those who apply this passage to the siege and destruction of Jerusalem by Titus. A few centuries later... <laughs> okay, a few centuries later... <laughs> so what, I want, I'm not done there. So, uh, Revelation 6. Let's go to Revelation 6. 12 through 13. Yeah. Do you want to do that? Do you want to bring it up? Um, I can. I can bring it up for them to see, sure. You don't have like an easy clickable link there. I do not. I do uh, not. All, all right. right. I watched as he opened the sixth seal. There was a great earthquake. The sun turned black like sackcloth made of goat hair, and the whole moon turned to blood. The stars in the sky fell to the earth as figs drop from uh, the fig tree and are shaken by a strong wind. Let's see. There are not wanting those who apply this passage to the siege of Jerusalem by Titus. Basically, so this particular passage. Meaning there's a ton of people. Saying that, I watched as he opened the sixth seal. There's a great earthquake. The sun turned black like sackcloth made of goat hair. And the whole moon, moon turned to blood. The stars in the sky fell to the earth as figs dropped from the fig tree. And were shaken with a strong wind. And the, the heavens receded like a scroll being rolled up. So there are a lot of people that see that as happening, uh, being the siege. And that was Andreas writing in 500 A.D. Yeah. Okay. Seeing that as being the um, the siege and the destruction of Jerusalem by Titus. A few centuries later, Athreus of Caesarea, who's about 850 AD, a Byzantine scholar and a deacon in Constantinople, said the following in his commentary on Revelation 7 1. So let's read 7 1 and 4. So he's going to do a commentary on this. Go ahead and read uh, 7 1 through 4. Okay. Let me bring it up for them to see. Here we go. After this, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth to prevent any wind from blowing on the land or on the sea or on any tree. Then I saw another angel coming up from the east, having the seal of the living God. 
He called out in a loud voice to the four angels who had been given power to harm the land and the sea. Do not harm the land or the sea or the trees until we put a seal on the foreheads of the servants of our God. Then I heard the number of those who were sealed, 144,000 from all the tribes of Israel. So here then were manifestly shown to the evangelist John what things were to befall the Jews in their war against the Romans. The 144,000 are literally just a representative of the 12 tribes of Israel. It's so incredibly, stupidly simple. Yeah. Okay. Um, in the way of avenging the sufferings inflicted upon Christ, when the evangelists received these oracles, the destruction in which the Jews were involved was not yet inflicted by the Romans. So, Athreus, being one, only one example of this viewpoint in his time, clearly believed that John wrote Revelation before AD 70 and that what it contained was a prophecy of those events. You know, um, Martin Luther had a hard time understanding Revelation, and some others did. But those who understood history, who were students of history and understood Titus and understood the, the, the sacking of Rome, then... Revelation is not a difficult makes book perfect to understand sense and you and you can all. see it. So uh, and and John had to ha write it in code. Yes. Because he was already banished to the Isle of Patmos because they tried to kill him and he lived. So like he's so Clement of Alexandria, an early church father who lived from 150 to 220 AD, wrote of John's release from Patmos um, from where he went to Ephesus. So this is another another part here, another Again, Another he's group. appointing bishops and leaders, and that's what he's going so to he's Clement, leading the church. Yeah, so I want to read this um, a little bit more on on Clement of Rome and, and John. So uh, John, um, Clement places John on the island of Patmos during the reign of the tyrant, but it continues to be debated to whom Clement gave this title. So and to give you confidence when you have thus truly repented that there remains for you a trustworthy hope of salvation— Hear a story that is no mere story, but a true account of John the Apostle that has been handed down and preserved in memory. When after the death of the tyrant, he removed from the island of Patmos to Ephesus, he used to journey by request to the neighboring districts of the Gentiles in some places to appoint bishops and in others to regulate whole churches and et cetera, et cetera. We read that earlier. Yeah, and, and set up and those indicated by the Holy Spirit. So Grant Jeffrey, a dispensationalist author, seizes upon this quote as proof uh, that Revelation was um, written in AD uh, 96. He notes that the tyrant in view here could either be Nero or Domitian, but assumes that it must be Domitian because Clement elsewhere described John as old and infirm at some point beyond his days on Patmos, and therefore he must have been more than 90 years old and a contemporary of Domitian. If the tyrant was instead Nero, says Jeffrey, then John could hardly have been described as old, <laughs> because he would have been only about 60 years old. However, this is nothing more than Jeffrey's own opinion regarding what it means to be old, especially when also noting that the Apostle Paul once referred to himself as Paul, an old man, in Philemon 1.9, and Paul was likely around 60 years old when he made this statement. And he was in a much better position than Jeffrey to say what it meant to be old in the first century A.D., Based on multiple testimonies, John did indeed live until nearly 100 years old, but there is nothing to say that John couldn't have lived and ministered to more than for more than 30 years after his release from Patmos, rather than just two to three years unless clearly proven otherwise. So Clement also wrote that after John's release from Patmos, he once mounted a horse and chased down a backslidden believer, apprehending him and leading him back to the faith. That's kind of a cool story. 
Jeffrey might do well to ask whether John was more likely to be able to do this at the age of 60 or the age of 90. Jerome, uh, 342 to 420. Uh, is, some, is Matt out there with the dogs? He is. Okay. Uh, a contemporary of Augustine said, and we just read the horse uh, reference. He okay. was chasing down a believer uh, on horseback. Go get him. Hi-ho, Silver. A, um, after his release from Patmos. Go on, get it. It's like 100 years old. I'm getting that believer. I'm getting that believer on the horse. I'm getting him. Go, go get him. It's so funny. Clement also wrote I'm that after John's release from Patmos. horse to the old town road. We're going to ride. He mounted a horse and Sorry. chased down a backslidden believer and leading him back to faith. That's awesome. So, um, what it, in, in the same letter, Clement had said that John referred to himself as old and, um, could he be 60 years old and old? Well, Paul actually referred himself to an old, as an old man yeah. in Philemon. So yeah, 60 could still be old. Although I'm telling y'all to stop saying that. I know John didn't, John, John was okay. Cause he lived to be a hundred. All right. Um, so, so Jerome, a contemporary of St. Augustine, said that John was seen in AD 96 and was so aged and weak and infirm that he was with difficulty carried to the church and could speak only a few words to the people. So when he was 96. actually 96? So no, well, no, actually, Jerome, a contemporary of Augustine, said that when John was seen in 96 AD. So but we're supposed to he... believe that he was so old and we can affirm that had to be carried, and yet he is taking his horse to the old town road. He's gonna ride until he can't no more. Well, and we're supposed to believe that he wrote this whole book when so he couldn't when he even so say words. aged and so weak and infirm that he and, had to be carried to the church. And we're to believe that he was so weakened and infirm that he was banished to the Isle of Patmos. And we're, and we're believed that he came back from the Isle of Patmos and traveled to all the churches when he was so weak and infirm that um he could only speak a few words to the people how is he appointing bishops and traveling from and church what's to church the point of banishing such an old guy that can't move to an island so whose whose sources do who's you take who's going there with him though like if we're, he's so old and infirm that he has he has to be carried then someone else has to be on that island with him helping this dude out well no this was after he was off the island i'm just saying it's about what a, a vast difference happened between a year 95 to 96. So it's not clear what source Jerome was citing, but if this testimony is true, it's hard to imagine John writing the book of Revelation in that same year, alone appointing multiple bishops throughout Ephesus and overtaking someone on horseback. Regarding the title of the tyrant, it is true that this term was applied on more than one occasion to Domitian. However, the same is true for Nero, who certainly fit the I wish title. We had like a, a checkbox thing here. With his reputation as a ruthless, self centered dictator whose brutality seemed to know no bounds. Apollonius of Tyana, uh, 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 it was a 15 to 98 AD, a Greek philosopher who outlived both Nero and Domitian, clearly found Nero to be much more of a tyrant than Domitian. He says, in my travels, which have been wider than ever man yet accomplished, it's a little arrogant, but maybe true, I have seen many, many wild beasts of Arabia and India, but this beast that is commonly called a tyrant, I know not how many heads it has, nor if it be crooked or claw. We read this earlier, yeah. armed with horrible fangs yeah. and so on and so, so forth. So the ra reality is, is that if an early date for the book of Revelation is valid, this leaves room for the possibility that many of the events in the book were also fulfilled during the siege of Jerusalem. 
the destruction of the temple in AD 70, and the Roman-Jewish War in 66 to 73 AD. Even more telling than the external evidence, the quotes from early church fathers and historians, though, is the internal evidence. We're going to talk about a little bit more on the internal evidence. All right. So Ken Gentry, a former dispensationalist, discovered in his reading of the Jewish War by Josephus a number of accounts which seem to reflect the descriptions of the plagues and judgments of Revelation, for example. Regarding the blood flow to the, quote, horses' bridles in Revelation 14.20, Josephus' comments on the battle scenes during the Jewish War are enlightening. At one point, a naval battle produced a lake all bloody and full of dead bodies. That's from Josephus' Wars 3.10.9. Later, he reported that the whole of the country through which they had fled was filled with slaughter and the Jordan River could not be passed over by reason of the dead bodies that were in it, but because the lake Asphaltus was also full of dead bodies, that's in Wars uh, 476, surely such carnage and bloodshed are suggested by John's imagery. Mm. John also refers to a time period of 42 months. We just read that with Jason in Revelation. So we can probably skip that one. We did that pretty good. A description of the woman in Revelation 17 offers further internal evidence for an early date. You see, this woman who rode the beast was said to be drunk with the blood of the saints, the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. Pause. All right. Now, we can read what you got. I don't want to read what you got. I want y'all to know what I got, what Michelle has. This is one that I have in me, like in me, in me. Okay. Who is the whore of Babylon? Who is this woman? Guys, who killed Jesus? Who the Jews. was drunk? Who was, who was perpetuating the persecution of the Jew of the Christians at the time? The Jews. The Jews. The, the Jews drunk with the blood of the martyrs. Guys, it's so simple. This cannot, literally cannot apply to anybody else and absolutely does apply to the Jews. So she is a great city, verse 18, and is hated by the beast and the 10 kings who desolate her and burn her with fire. Oh my gosh. Rome coming after the Jews hated both the Christians and her, the Jews, the Jews, the whore of Babylon. Okay. Desolated Jerusalem, burned Jerusalem with fire. Like it literally happened. So I want to go and go ahead and go to Revelation 17. Just read a few of these scriptures because um, we'll, we will do a whole show on who is the prostitute in Babylon. Babylon the Great, the mother of prostitutes and abominations of the earth. And I saw the woman drunk with the blood Oops, of God's holy people, the blood, of who, who, the blood of those who bore the testimony of Jesus. And when I saw her, I was greatly astonished. The angel said to me, why are you astonished? And I will explain to you the mystery of the woman and of the beast she rides, which has seven heads and ten horns. The beast which you saw once was, now is not, and yet will come up out of the abyss and go into destruction. I'm going to go back here to a couple of these scriptures. I want to go to verses uh, 16 and 17 and then verse um, 24. So I'm going to go to 16 and 17. The beast and the ten horns you saw will hate the prostitute. A, Rome did. They will eat her flesh and burn her with fire for God has put it into their hearts to accomplish his purpose by agreeing to hand over to the beast, their Royal authority until God's words are fulfilled. The woman you saw is the great city that rules over the Kings of the earth. Oh my gosh. And so that's Jerusalem. It's like the, it's God's people. So when you go to the lament over the fall of Babylon in 1824, 
we read, um, it was found in her was found the blood of the prophets and of God's holy people and all who had been slaughtered on the earth. And so I want to go to Matthew chapter 23. When you know history, it all falls in to place. So um, Matthew 23, Jesus is talking to the Pharisees and he starts with the teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. So you must be careful to do everything they tell you, but not practice, but um, they don't practice what they preach. And um, he goes on to say, woe you blind guides. And he talks about swearing to the temple. And where's the part where he says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. So simple when you put it together. You who kill the prophets and stone those who sent you, how often I would have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings and you were not willing. Look, your house is left to you desolate. For I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes into the name of the Lord. And I want to go back just up a couple scriptures. You snakes, you brood of vipers. Uh, therefore, I am sending you prophets and sages and teachers. Some of them you will kill and crucify. Others you will flog in your what? Synagogues and pursue them from a town to town. What did Paul do? Went from town to town. In my scripture on Amos 1 through 3. Okay. And so upon you, okay, and so upon you will come all the righteous blood that has been shed on earth. And from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zachariah, son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the temple and the altar. So let's go back to Revelation Wait. 18. Pause. It was found in her the blood of the prophets and all of God's holy people. But wait, Leah, when we, we just for this Matthew 23 part real quick. Mm-hmm. We know that Jesus gives a specific timestamp of who they had killed and, and the judgment of having killed those people mm -hmm. will come on them. Even if you want to say that that judgment is going to come on people 2000 years in the future or whatever, Jesus literally stops at who this justice is happening for the son, uh, from, from Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, whom you slew in the temple. That's the last one. It's done. So that means that every martyr after that, um, like, so, so Joan of Arc, right? So she doesn't count. So in 2000 years from now, when, when this does happen and the judgment comes on these people, Joan of Arc's not, it's not included in the justice. In the well, for that. I would, it depends because Revelation 17 talks about those who you, the martyrs that you killed for the testimony of Jesus. I'm just saying it's yeah. it, to me, it seems he's literally because that hadn't happened yet, by the way. Mm -hmm. Okay. Right. I'm just saying that to me, this is a time stamp for what Jesus is talking about. Yeah. Yeah. What did mom want us to read? Amos one. Amos one. Let me go over here to the chat and see if I see where she's placed it in there. Do, do, do. You could look for that. I will continue on. All right, who was responsible for the shedding of all the blood of the prophets and the saints, according to Jesus? And we, um, I actually put that in there in the blog here so you can see that. Is it a coincidence that, coincidence that the word desolate is used here just as it is used in Revelation 17, 16, 18, 17, and 19, not to mention in Daniel 27 and Luke 21, 20? No, Jerusalem was the prophetic Babylon the Great in the book of Revelation. The generation which heard Jesus speak these things also saw them happen, just as he said they would in AD 70. The third bowl judgment, rivers and springs of water becoming blood, Revelation 16, 4, also is directly linked to those who had shed righteous blood, 
verses five and six. And I heard an angel, the angel in charge of the water say, just are you a holy one who is and who was for you brought these judgments for they have shed the blood of saints and prophets and you have given them blood to drink. It is what they deserve. So this goes with uh, Patriot Gallery scripture from Amos eight, three. So let me pull this up so you guys can see it too. Um, then the Lord said to me, the time is ripe for my people, Israel. I will spare them no longer in that day declares the sovereign Lord. The songs in the temple will turn to wailing many, many bodies flung everywhere. Silence. Hear this. You who trample the needy and do away with the poor of the land, etc. So let me come back here to the study note that she's put in the chat here from the 1599 Geneva Bible says against the rulers of Israel, the Lord swears. Um, the famine of the word of God, thus has the Lord shown unto me and behold a basket of summer fruit. And he said, Amos, what seest thou? And I said, a basket. Oh, so that's what we read. But it says in the, in the Geneva study note there says, I think it is saying against the rulers of, of Israel. Israel. Yeah. And that will be, that was revelation. Yeah. That was the exact same thing. Exactly. That's exactly the same thing. All right, as we will see later, Josephus and others recorded that the rivers and springs of Jerusalem and its surroundings were filled with blood during the Roman Jewish War. Again, Jesus said that it would be that generation. Jerusalem receives specific mention in Revelation 11:8. We talked about that, the great city that symbolically is called Sodom and Egypt, where the Lord was crucified. It's worth noting that Revelation 11:8 suggests that Jerusalem's streets, streets were still intact at the time of John's writing. Because the dead bodies of the two witnesses were to lie there for several days. If John wrote this in uh, 95 or 96, Jerusalem would have been a wasteland. As Kathleen M. Kenyon remarked, it was two centuries or more before human activity began once more to make its mark in the whole area of ancient Jerusalem. It's also significant in Revelation 11.8 that Jerusalem is called the Great City. This is the same title given to Babylon the Great on at least six occasions. To be called Sodom, of course, is not a compliment. When Isaiah was instructed to prophesy against Judah and Jerusalem, Isaiah 1.1, he called the Israelites by the same name because of their apostasy. Okay? It would also make sense for John to speak of apostate Jerusalem, once known as the holy city, as, as Sodom, Babylon, and the harlot. Todd Dennis writes, the image of the unfaithful wife, the harlot, was often used of Israel in the Old Testament. Israel is repeatedly called the wife of God in Jeremiah, uh, Isaiah, but she was the unfaithful wife. Um, and you see that in Ezekiel, you see it in Isaiah, behaving as a prostitute, Jeremiah 3, 1 through 2. In the context of Jerusalem's designation as a prostitute, Isaiah 1, 21, is especially noteworthy. See how the faithful city has become a harlot. Has become a harlot. This is a perfect. See, Isaiah is prophesying what would happen in AD 70 and what would happen afterwards. Isaiah's the whole book is about it. So when he's talking about the harlot, he's and, and then John is pulling together all of the prophetic words from all the Old Testament and saying, this is the revelation of Jesus and this is now. Okay, the revealing of Jesus. All the Old Testament prophets were prophesying of Jesus, and that's why John is revealing Jesus. Okay, so Rome in John's day, or a secular city-state in our day, could not be said to be to fornicate against God. No one in the history of mankind has or will ever be capable of doing that. There is an obvious contrast between the harlot and the, and the chaste bride. Here's the harlot. Here's the harlot. It's not the world. It's not the world. 
It's and Jerusalem. It says, and that suggests the contrast with the Jerusalem below and the Jerusalem above, the yeah. new Jerusalem. So Dennis adds that the description of the harlot's attire, purple, scarlet, gold, Jews, and pearls, was nearly identical to the ephod worn by the high priest. But if you don't know your history, you wouldn't know that. So uh, in the ephod, and go ahead and bring up uh, Exodus 28. So you guys can see this. You're getting a lot of... I hope you all are taking notes. So let's look at this priestly garment here in Exodus 28. All right, starting in verse. So we've got, um, have them use gold, blue, purple, scarlet, and fine linen. Make the ephod, which, um, and maybe you can show them a picture. Yeah. Of gold and blue and purple and scarlet yarn, of finely twisted linen, uh, the work of skilled hands. It is to have two shoulder pieces attached to two of its corners so it can be fastened. It's to be skillfully woven, uh, waistband is to be like it. So you've, you're, this is the priestly garment. And you've got, take two onyx stones and engrave on them the names of the sons of Israel. You've got the breast piece um, made with skilled hands. And just here you can just see all the different um, jewels and how this is made. So he's got this ephod, the breastplate of the 12 precious stones. He's got the umen and the thumen um, were placed in the breastplate, um, the onyx stones on the shoulders, the turban. And this is what the high priest would have looked like. Yeah. Pretty ornate, right? So he says here, the description of the harlot's attire is purple, scarlet, gold, jewels, and pearls. Looks that's, you know, the golden cup she held was likely symbolic of the temple vessels, the greatest part of which were gold and silver. According to the Jewish historian Josephus, on Aaron's forehead was the inscription, Holy to the Lord. Exodus 28, 36, which says, make a plate of pure gold and engrave on its seal, Holy to the Lord. Mm. Okay. And they had to put it on his head like that. Okay. So, um... The harlot's forehead and on her hand bore the title Babylon the Great, Mother of Prostitutes and Earth's Abominations. Ephesians 12. But you have not come to a mountain that can be touched, that is burning with fire to darkness and gloom and storm, to a trumpet blast or such a voice speaking words, that those who heard it begged that no further word be spoken to them because they could not bear what was commanded. If even an animal touches a mountain, he's talking about Moses. But you have come, go ahead, verse 22, you can read. Are you there? But you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly to the church of the firstborn whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks better, a better word than the blood of Abel. 2 Corinthians 11. Oh, that you would bear me. Bear with me in a little folly, and indeed you do bear with me, for I am jealous for you with godly jealousy, for I have betrothed you to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. Ephesians 5. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. And then um, I have another scripture in Matthew 5. Uh, 8 5 and the the point is going down to uh, verse 11 and I say to you that many will come from the east and west and sit down with Abraham Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven but the sons of the kingdom will be cast out into utter darkness there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth 
Then Jesus said to the centurion, go your way. And as you have believed, so let it be done for you. And his servant was healed that same hour. So Jesus came to bring in another kingdom. Those, all, the old kingdom was being passed away and the sons of the old kingdom will be cast away. So early Christian writers, notably Papias, Justin Meyer, Martyr, Irenaeus, Barnabas, and Clement were millennialists who believed that Christ's second coming would lead to a visible earthly reign. But the millennialism they embraced was vastly different from what was taught by modern dispensationalists. In fact, the idea of millennium was about the only feature they had in common with today's teaching. The early church fathers differed greatly from the more recent teachings of Darby, Schofield, and the Dallas Theological Seminary. The early church fathers taught the Antichrist would spread false doctrine about Jesus, not that he would be a worldwide political leader. They wrote that the false prophet would claim to be the son, be a son of God, not that he would claim to really be God. Those early church fathers did not hold to distinctively modern and dispensationalist beliefs. The early church fathers did not believe in a rapture before a time of tribulation. Instead, they consistently taught the church would go through a time of tribulation to test their faith. Uh, the early church fathers, where millennialist, uh, whether millennialist or otherwise, believed that the church was the new Jerusalem and that Christians, consisting of both Jews and Gentiles, had replaced the Jews as God's chosen people. They certainly taught Jews could be saved, but only through the atoning sacrifice of Jesus in no other way. In other words, they did not see the church in Israel as distinct dispensations. They believed in prophecy, but used the New Testament writings to interpret Old Testament scriptures. Already in the early 2nd century, Justin Martyr reported Christians held opposing eschatologies. Some believed the earth would be the site of history's final consummation, while others regarded heaven as the destination for the righteous. Adherents of these competing views uh, vied for dominance for several centuries before the heaven idea worn out, won out, becoming the standard notion most Christians hold right, right down to the present day. Justin Martyr was a millennialist. He did believe in a literal a thousand year reign and believed that dead saints would be resurrected and take part in the millennium. But it is evident that Justin Martyr's eschatology is dissimilar in fundamental aspects with that of the modern construct. No rapture, resurrection of Christians at the second advent, the fulfillment of the national promises and Christians, a general resurrection, an insignificant millennium, a synchronized timing of the second advent and the, and the day of judgment, an allegorical basis for the millennium, and the idea that Israel and the church are synonymous. Already in the second century, Justin Martyr reported Christians held a... Oh, I, we read that one. Um, so here are some more, and I just wanted you guys to know where other people have been at throughout history. The pilgrims were believed that they were at the end of the Great Tribulation. And, were, and they had all the dates lined up, and you read in the Geneva study notes, and it was this pope and this, and then they were ushering in a, a, a reign of Christianity. Um, some of the Puritans believe that as well. But we can actually, we can see now through history that they were truly reigning then. They were reigning then. That's how they got here, and yeah. they didn't even know it, right? So here's a little bit more internal evidence for an early date. Um, more compelling evidence for an early date is found in John's reference to the seven kings of Revelation, 17, 9 through 10, which states, This calls for a mind with wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman is seated. They are also seven kings, five, five who have been fallen. We talked about this last week. And one is and the other has not yet come. And when he does uh, come, he must remain only a little while. This description of the seven kings lines up well with historical data showing the emperors who reigned in the Roman Empire up until the destruction of the temple in AD 70, which are as follows. And we can see Julius Caesar, 
Augustus, Tiberius, Caligula, Claudius, Nero, Gaba, Otho, Vitellius, and Vespasian. So some historians do not consider Julius Caesar to be one of those empire em emperors and rather designate him as one uh, who played a key role in transforming the Roman Republic into the Roman Empire. Flavius Josephus, however, was one who did, and the, uh, the above list re reflects his own list in his writing titled Antiquities of the Jews. Numerous Roman historians contemporary of Josephus agree. Among those uh, were Dio Cassius uh, Suetonius, who wrote The Lives of the Twelve Caesars, De Vita Caesarum. Julius Caesar was appointed as a perpetual dictator. So according to the above list then, Nero was the, quote, king whom John said one is, i.e. is reigning now, and Galba was the one who had not yet to come. Galba reigned for only six months, making him a good candidate to be the one who must remain for only a little while. Again, we're back at the dating of the book of yeah. Revelation. This would place John's authorship of Revelation sometime before Nero's death in June uh, 68 after November 64 AD because already noted John was in Patmos as a result of the imperial persecution. So numerous church fathers and leaders during the first several centuries identified Nero as the beast of the book of Revelation. And we've talked about that, I think, pretty uh, closely uh, to... I think we covered a lot yeah, of that Yeah, so, already. but here's, this is very interesting. So the biblical description of the beast in Revelation, um, the blasphemous worship demanded by the beast distinctly reminds one of the imperial cult of the first century. The war the beast wages on the saints cannot help but recall the intense persecutions Nero and later Domitian inflicted on Christians because they did not worship Caesar. Nero's persecution of Christians from November AD 64, uh, when he blamed the Christians for the massive fire, uh, which started in June. He of, started. He started uh, to June 80, 68, could account in part, there's another 42 months uh, for three and a half years of oppression mentioned in Revelation 13, 5. The reference in Revelation 13, 11 through 15 to the beast of the land securing worship for the beast from the sea, Rome was across the sea from the place of the writing of the apocalypse, Asia Minor, reminds one of the local priests of the imperial cult in Asia Minor, whose task was to compel the people to offer a sacrifice to Caesar and proclaim him Lord. The megalomaniac that he was, Nero had coins minted in which he was called Almighty God and Savior. Nero's portrait also appears on coins as the god Apollo playing a lyre. While earlier emperors were proclaimed deities upon their deaths, Nero abandons all reserve and demanded uh, divine honors while still alive. Those who worshipped the emperor received a certificate or mark of approval. A uh, charamaga, the same word used in Revelation, the mark of the beast. And there you go with the money. You can't buy or sell without the mark of the beast. You, if you worship the emperor, you got a mark. I mean, right. it's it's so simple that it's it's almost so stupid simple. Okay, so um, yeah, so we know we we could talk more about Nero being the tyrant. I'm gonna skip down here. All right. So what I want to do now, I think that um, if you guys want to open it up to any questions we can talk about some questions um i feel like this is one of those simple ones and i hope you guys can um share this one because this is really simple i do however have and i think it's somewhere do you see the manila envelope yeah so one of our viewers sent a really interesting letter about the talks that we've been having and i've been getting some really in-depth commentary 
back from you yeah, guys on awesome. this. So greetings, Leah Michelle. I'm just starting to listen to your Revelation Red Pill series, and I probably have a lot of catching up to do. I have been doing a lot of research into the year 8070 when Jerusalem was destroyed. I believe, as I know you do, that this was the fulfillment of Jesus' prophecies about Jerusalem. Jerusalem, not in whole, but a large part, rejected Jesus Christ, the Messiah, and had him killed. As a result, they brought their own destruction upon them, as God had promised in the Old Testament, as Jesus had prophesied. It is the blessings and the curses of Deuteronomy chapter 8. You can come down, Red. Come here, buddy. Nebuchadnezzar was called a servant of God three times in the Bible. There you are. How are you doing? Um, he carried out God's promises, warnings of what would happen if you disobeyed. I know, but you can't come up here. Well, the utter destruction of Jerusalem in AD 70 was the punishment for rejecting Christ. The year AD 70 is fascinating for many reasons. It is the final year of Jerusalem, and it is the beginning of the rule of Emperor Titus Flavius Vespasian. He is the father to Titus, who completed the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem. Vespasian was sent by the Emperor Nero to put down the rebellion in Judea that the local governor could not handle. He and Titus fight against the Jews from 66 to 70 AD, and it is chronicled in Josephus' writings, Works of Josephus, Volume 4. Nero had gone insane soon after he sent Vespasian to Judea. After killing his mother, stomping his pregnant wife to the point that her, she and her baby died, his heir to the throne. So Nero commits suicide when it is clear that the Senate will kill him, but without an heir to the temple. He was the last of the Julio-Claudian line. So there was a succession problem in AD 69, the year of the four emperors. First, Galba from Spain came and laid his claim to the throne. But he was an old man in his 70s, and people were worried about a succession problem. So he adopts Otho to be a successor. Otho was a sycophant, friend, and possible homosexual lover of Nero. Gaba is killed, and Otho assumes the throne. All the while, Vespasian and Titus are fighting fierce, costly battles in Judea. Vespasian sends Titus to Rome to pledge their loyalty to the new emperor Galba when a messenger from Rome meets Titus in Corinth in Acadia to tell him that Galba was dead and Otho now reigned. But now there are rumblings in the empire, and the general in Germania, Alvesus uh, Alvis Vitellius, is declared the emperor by his men, and they set out to go to Rome and take the empire. Vitellius and Otho do battle in northern Italy. It is an inconclusive battle, according to Roman historian Tacitus, but Otho thinks that he has lost and he commits suicide. Vitellius now reigns. By now, Vespasian is declared emperor by his men, lines up Allies on his side from all over the eastern parts of the empire cuts off food ships and shipments to Rome, starving the city, undermining the brand new rule of Vitellius, and marches his own forces towards Rome. Vitellius, as I'm saying that, right? Vitellius and Vespasian meet in battle. Vespasian is victorious, and he becomes a new empire. Vespasian, emperor. Vespasian solidifies his ascent to the throne, is accepted by the Senate and the people as the new emperor, and begins a rulership of Rome and that saved the empire. It had been on the brink of civil war. The last one after the murder of Julius Caesar lasted seven years. This time, it could have divided the empire, throwing the whole known world of that time into open warfare. Titus completes the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple and disperses the Judeans who did survive, mostly by selling them into slavery. Vespasian, whose family name was Flavius, built the Flavian Colosseum, the Colosseum of Rome. I have no proof, but I wonder if some of the stones taken by the destruction of the temple were used to build the Colosseum. 
So the Roman world was saved, but the temple, representative of the Mosaic law, was destroyed. God allowed a pagan nation to defeat Israel Judea, just as Nebuchadnezzar had done in the Old Testament. The Christian world was free to fulfill Jesus' commission to spread the world the word to all the world. The Jewish world world was dead or enslaved. The vehicle for Christians to spread the word was the Roman Empire. Its system of roadways, its travel by sea, it uh, in one continuous empire facilitated the movement of apostles and Christians. The Apostle Paul was able to rely upon his status as a Roman citizen to help him in and out of some situations. Jerusalem was destroyed as a center of meeting, of councils, of assemblies, of institutional gathering, and a doctrinal center because it no longer existed as a Jewish citadel. It was no longer needed. For now, the Christian believer was the temple of God, Christ in you, the hope of glory. There was no return by the Jews to Jerusalem because it was in Roman hands. After Western Rome fell in 444 AD, the Eastern Roman Empire lasted until the 1400s, when Constantinople then fell to the Muslims. But all this happened because Jesus' prophecies and the actions of Vespasian and his son Titus, along with his another son Domitian, ruled for 27 years. They bring stability to the Roman Empire that, due to the excesses of Caligula, Nero, and others, were almost, had almost destroyed the empire. God was able to use the empire as a vehicle to spread the good news. What do you think? And then he puts in here um, a history of the um, Jewish um, emperors starting in um, the first century and they were getting on get, we get a whole um, awesome. list of Jim well done so this is Jim and he basically sums up everything and then you've got the Christian era and it's awesome and it's a perfect wonderful history and he sent this and I wanted to let thank you guys you, know thank you Jim other people are getting it. People are um, really learning and getting set free and taking dominion and moving forward. There was another, um, there was a message that we got on resistancechicks.com I want to bring up. And if you guys have any questions, go ahead and put them in the chat and we'll go over a couple before we say goodbye. I don't see any, I don't see any questions. I'm actually really... Um... The chat has been fairly silent, although there are many of you here that are watching, and I think it's because tonight has been a very note-taking um, show. So what do you guys think? If you're tuning in live and you've got the live chat up, what have you thought of today's show? I know that I, even I have learned stuff, and I've already, I already knew this stuff, mm -hmm. right? I already had it in me, and, and every time we go over it, it sinks in a little bit more. So this may be one of those episodes that you watch back in a couple of months mm -hmm. to really get it in you because I'm going to tell you guys something. When the book of Revelation was written is ingrained in dispensationalists mm -hmm. that it had to have happened in roughly 95 AD. That is settled for them based on the quote from Arrhenius. Irenaeus, excuse me. Erroneous. Um, so you need to have these proofs ready to show someone they need to be inside of you. And I will say that even though we've gone over this two or three times, tonight's the night where I really feel like I could actually just verbalize it to somebody instead of having to go back and look stuff up. Yeah. So we got this message from Jim a while back. and I Same guy. It. Oh, okay. Uh, Dear Leah Michelle, I love watching you gals. And I first saw you through Scott Adams and National News. I love your unbedding Christian attitude, which we need more of in Mike this country. Adams. Mike Adams. Did I say that? Well, he said Scott. He meant Mike. Okay. Um, I was taught much of my knowledge about the Bible in a dispensationalist church. 
You might have heard of it, but the name really doesn't matter. Coming from a Catholic background in my early 20s, with relatively no biblical teaching, my mind was fertile ground for new ideas. Add in some family problems and a willingness to abandon anything I had been taught, I grabbed onto something that seemed to offer answers to life and give me direction. Unfortunately, the direction was all centered around the, quote, ministry and what was, what, and what was good for it. No, it wasn't Jim Jones or David Crush. But one of the main selling points of this ministry was its dispensationalism. It taught a concept that we were going to get raptured. The gathering together, we called it, based out of 1 Thessalonians 4 and 2 Thessalonians 2. We were going to meet Jesus in the sky and be whisked away into heaven before anything that occurs in Revelation ever happened. We were going to live our lives in light of this and be expecting this. Jesus' return any day. Now we were taught to live and work, take care of necessary things, and it did teach a minimalist day-by-day -day sort of living, which excluded planning for the future. God was supposed to take care of that. Days became weeks, months, years. Before you know it, you have lost precious time in your life doing nothing but going to church, singing songs, setting up for meetings, but not advancing in life. Granted, the leadership does well, but you become lazy and content doing the bare minimum of life. This is a recipe for disaster and bitterness uh, at being misled, wasting opportunities, and falling behind in life. We are not to measure ourselves against the world, but when the world sets the standards of work, saving for retirement, pay scales, we at some point in time are forced to live by those standards. We are foolish to ignore it. You cannot demand that you that your landlord reduce your rent when there are five other people willing to pay more. But a dispensationalism becomes a spiritual drug that makes you feel good about yourself. Christ is going to get you out of your situation when the situation has been in your hands the whole time. Yes, God and Candace rescue you out of hard times, but those hard times should not be because of your laziness or inactivity. I believe that this country is suffering under the result of inactivity. The moral majority will save the day. Also, there is an amount of sin consciousness involved here. I do not need to go into the depths of how Black Lives Matter is corrupting and manipulating the racial divide in this country, but the church in America was absent, except black churches, obviously, in the racial divide. And in some ways, the church seems to be overcompensating for a sin of omission. We didn't lead the country into the harmony of Christ, and we are still paying the price. The Ku Klux Klan cloaked itself in whiteness and Christianity. Christianity today is still looked at being backward, stupid, hateful, and ugly. The complete opposite of what Jesus is. So whatever is Antichrist, is seen as enlightened, clean, uplifting, and beautiful. Tell me Lucifer isn't behind all of this. So what is the point of this letter, and why am I telling you what you already know? Uh, first, I want to know more about your non-dispensationalist view. There are still questions I have. I have reread through the four Gospels. I am now on Acts, looking for aspects regarding the kingdom of Christ. And I have seen some real gems. I am also reading some Roman historians trying to figure out what it was like to have lived in the first century. And I want to travel to Europe and see where Paul traveled. Did you know that Herod the Great was no slouch? That guy that tried to kill the baby Jesus? He rode with Mark Antony. Rome actually depended on him to rule his corner of the empire. A ruthless dictator with ruthless henchmen come, came hunting for Jesus when he was a little child, and God had Joseph, Joseph get him out of there with plenty of gold to make the trip back. And mind you, Jesus was king in exile, not a refugee in hiding, but more on that later. There is information in Roman history detailing the fall of Jerusalem. Read the Old Testament and you will see the only time Jerusalem or Israel was ever conquered was when they rejected God. It is written throughout the Old Testament, the blessings when you obey God and the cursings when you don't. Jerusalem fell in 70 AD because the majority of people and leadership there rejected the Messiah. They could have accepted Jesus when he was here on earth. They could have accepted him after he was resurrected and his apostles started doing what he had done. They could have accepted him when the church started moving out into the Gentile lands. They could have accepted him when Paul returned, only to be arrested and almost killed, but they never did. In the Old Testament, Nebuchadnezzar three times is called a servant of God. 
Is it because he delivered God's punishment on a disobedient Israel? Did God use Vespasian and his son Titus in the same way? Vespasian and Titus were the two generals, father and son, who conquered and destroyed Jerusalem and the temple. They both became emperors of Rome, and together they ruled one with one other son for about 30 years. But if God has already punished Israel for by its destruction in 70 AD, if the things in Daniel or in the Gospels have already occurred, then what about the prophecies in Revelation? Have they already taken place? Are Christians today trying to read a 21st century understanding into events that have already happened? If they are, then they are as wrong as the Jews in Jerusalem who died fighting the Romans. This is a conversation that Christians as a whole need to engage in, as well as getting involved in local politics. Let's not be lazy. And All right, he, so he says, my P.S., my videos from my radio show, Dunn's Deal, are posted on brighteon.com. You can go to the search bar and type TUSO, T-U-S-O-E, the acronym for my first book, The United States of Empire, and then click on 14 videos and they will come up. So I brought that up for you guys to see if you want to go and check out his channel and subscribe there on brighteon.com. That would be awesome. We should definitely be supporting um, our fellow friends and viewers so we will definitely be checking out some of your videos. I didn't see that until just now at the end there. So yes, that's awesome. All right. Very so let me get to good. some comments because you guys have been leaving some really good ones here while we, while Leah has been reading this. All right. So Minkle says, I believe it. So at the end, right at the show, I want to know what you guys think. Did we make the case for the early date of the writing of the book of Revelation? I think Minkle's, Minkle says, I believe it. It makes sense. I've watched the whole series. Uh, original spaghetti monster monster says decent. I hope so. Uh, Jenny says I will rewatch this episode. Floorman says this series got me thinking differently. This episode only exposed more facts to base my new beliefs in. Awesome. Uh, let's see. Um, as in, yes, you are late. You are at the very end of the show, but you can go back and watch it. Um, all right. So let me see. All right, Linda over here says, tonight is good stuff as always. A friend of mine who is waking up has come to the conclusion there is no point in continuing to go to church since Jesus already came. Any thoughts on how to approach this? So since I read your comment, this is what came to mind. I didn't know people went to church just waiting for Jesus to come back. I didn't know that either. But here's the deal. The idea of the Revelation Red Pill Wednesdays, That's while very strange. we have had to lay a fairly solid foundation to debunk dispensationalism and that's really an important aspect what they're doing over at the kingdom roundtable on monday nights mm. is what we're going to graduate revelation red pill wednesdays into and we've touched on it a lot but that is this the kingdom of god is now our job is to have heaven invade earth and you see the kingdom of god expand and so we are talking about Casting out devils. We're talking about laying hands on the sick and seeing them recover. We're talking about looking at these demonically held seats in government and, and claiming them for Christ. Pulling down these rulers and principalities and strongholds. Stopping all of this um, LGBTQ nonsense. Literally taking this, this darkness, this kingdom of darkness that's already been judged. And walking out our authority over it and casting it into the lake of fire. So why do you need to go to church if Jesus came back? It's because we ain't doing all that stuff yet. We got work to do. It's time to like roll up your sleeves. Now is the time more than ever to be. Listen, but here's the deal. Lee and I don't believe in church as in the four walls. I got to tell you. You need a fellowship this, of believers. to me, Revelation Red Pill Wednesdays is church. 
Forsake not the fellowship of the brethren, getting together and having people in your life that you can talk to, iron sharpening iron. That is what we are supposed to be doing. God wants you to have, and this is, I would call this as a church appendix, like extra, extra, like, because you really need to have a group of people in your life that you can go to in hard times that you can message for prayer specifically. Um, like this can't, like, this is great for you to get a good message, but then you've, in order to enact it, what I'm going to pray and what you need to pray is that God will give you two, three, four people or a group of people yeah. that you can meet with, that you can worship with, that you can, I, that you can minister with yourself. Home. Tony says home churches. She, she said, I came in late. I will rewatch from the beginning. Tony, you hit the nail on the head. This is what Leah and I do with all of the people in our lives, right? Pretty much everybody is our conversations. Guys, I got to tell you, we are, I wouldn't say we're boring to people that find God stuff boring. We're boring. Our conversations are almost always about God with our friends and what God is doing and how, what God's showing us what and I how do we hope, advance the kingdom. What I, what I hope you guys do when you come and watch us. And my prayer is that you go and you say, wow, okay, what is, what's our message? What is our, like you come to watch resistance chicks and see what the game plan is for this week. What's God speaking to, if God's called you to come and watch us, I believe God's called you to be part of the, this, come on. this, like we're getting a word from God. And then you, if it, whatever messes with your spirit, then you go take these marching orders basically from heaven. And you're like, okay, God. I'm going to do this with my grandma or my, my, my city, my state. And you're going to enact these words in, and you will be the minister. You will be laying hands on the sick. You will be getting words of wisdom for people in your life. And then if you start to get to where you're getting words from God and other people are listening to you and then you go and act and they enact the words that you're getting. So Michelle and I get on our faces before God, we get a lot of words and then we speak them out and, and then we do what we can in our circle. And I'm hoping that you go and take them and then you do that in your circle because why did God give apostles, prophets, teachers, preachers, evangelists? And I'm hoping that you consider us to be one of those things to equip the saints for the work of ministry. So I'm hoping that you come here and you get equipped to go and do the work of the ministry because God needs your hands. He says, Jesus said, um, if you've, you've fed the hungry, if you've given water the thirsty, you've done it to me. And I can't be, some of you are in Oklahoma, some of you are in Sweden, um, What's the guy's name from Sweden gave us a really cool recipe. We've got elderflowers out there. I'm going to go make elderflower lemonade. I'm going to pick 20 of them. I'm going to soak them with some lemons and then put some sugar in them with some citric acid. And I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. So originally Spaghetti Monster, original Spaghetti Monster. I've not seen you in the chat before and I'm really glad that you're here. So I don't know if you're new to us or whatever uh, in Ontario, Canada, I think you're saying. But they say, Bountiful Crops is not boring. My land feeds my family. You are at the right channel. Okay, because that is what we're talking about. And the video that I did earlier today shows you guys, I want you to check it out. It's only six minutes long. It's easy to share. I've uploaded it on Instagram um, and it's on Facebook. I don't think the Patriot Gallery has shared it anywhere else. You get props if you're growing in Canada, man. All right. Um, Tony says, I would love, love, love to be at your home church. You are right now. This is it, Tony. This is the home church. Everybody needs to have their own home church. And what I mean by that is not like you need a church. You just need a fellowship of believers that you can talk to. I want to tell you guys a little inside baseball. When um, you guys see Serge and Jason on our show all the time, they were both uh, pastors at a church. And Serge had this red pill message. 
And what we just learned from Jason tonight, which we already knew, but what you guys learned from Jason tonight, and I think he said it on other episodes, that God was already kind of opening up these things. Like he's starting to question. He came from a church that was of a victorious eschatology. And I remember from this side of it, Serge is having conversations with us. Like I'm dropping these, these bombs to Jason. And you know what? He's picking him up. So I want to encourage you guys. And then their whole church got it. And then the whole, well, not the whole church, but the then they 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 ended up leaving that church when and they started. The church they found they started, right. and then Corey and then, came, and then like everybody. Then the whole church gets it. So I want to encourage you guys that even if you give this message to a friend and they don't get it, A, you can keep working on them, but B, God will probably bring you someone else. There's going to be someone in your life that they've been questioning. You know, there's just something about this, like, Jesus coming back and us getting raptured out of here that doesn't meld right. It doesn't sound right. This is not, and you will give that message to them and then something will spark and you guys will start working on that together and it will spread to multiple people. So Serge and Jason are the epitome of why you don't give up when you are sharing this message. Okay, because you will find someone that really gets it and then together you will have an explosion. Yeah. All right. So you want to give some announcements? Anybody who's near us? Announcements. Oh my gosh. Are y'all ready for this? Y'all ain't ready for this. I'm going to pull this up right here. Did you make the flyer? I'm well, I'm working on the post on the website because there's a lot to it. I'm going to have signups for you guys to get the tickets and stuff like that. But we, so Banners for Freedom has launched the Remnant Revolution Tour. All right. And they are traveling. So it's not just if you'd live near us. You can click on the events and look at where they are headed. All right. Um, I think they've already done the Texas and the two Tennessees. I'm not sure where they're at right now, but I think it's either Georgia or South Carolina. But we've got uh, North Carolina. We've got Pennsylvania. Then they're going to Old Washington, Ohio. And then the last stop that they have scheduled right now, but it's, it's not scheduled, but they have planned out, is right here with us, Milford, Ohio. Now, guys, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you all something. You can make plans to come to this as a three or four day event. There's still time, okay? We're looking at the third, the fourth, and the fifth of July. It's gonna be jam packed. The first night, okay, July 3rd, we're gonna be going to the Sparks in the Park right here in our town, Milford, Ohio. And that night is, they're gonna have a band, which we won't be listening to the band, we won't care about the band, but we're gonna be giving away tickets to go with us the next day, and you'll be going with us too if you come, but I need to know ahead of time, to see the Sound of Freedom. So we're gonna be handing out tickets, talking to people, evangelizing. These are limited in number. It's, but it's, so, so that's why I need to know ahead so of time. I need you guys to know. We have 113, but yeah. then those, not really, because those are purchased for some of us that have to actually go. But, um, even if we sell out of the tickets, you can see the Sound of Freedom later, but I still want you guys to plan on coming for this event, but we haven't, it's not even selling out because we're giving these tickets away. Banners for Freedom has ponied up. Resistance Chicks has ponied up. We literally bought out 113 tickets for this theater. So what we're going to be doing is uh, handing out the tickets on uh, the 3rd in the evening. Then the very next day, let me scroll down here. We're going to be going to see The Sound of Freedom in theaters at 1.15 right here in Milford. So I want you guys to show up a half hour earlier. But again, you need to RSVP and get tickets. And I will I will have this up on the website within the next three days. Everything will be ready to go. And you'll be able to tell us that you're coming or not. But you can, in the meantime, you can send me an email and let me know that you want to come. Then that evening, we're going to have just a fun night. We're going to go to Loveland. It's literally one of the biggest 
um, firework celebration in our, our surrounding area. There's a lot going on that night. There will be, uh, it's very, very family friend friendly. They're going to have a water zone, fire trucks, bingo. So you can text Jamie too. And you, uh, uh, exactly. All right. So there's, there's, there's directions on where to go for that. So you're, you're, if you're living near us or you want to travel and come to this, your, your 4th of July is already taken care of. Then the very next day, this is really, really cool. We're going to be going to the Underground Railroad in the afternoon. It's in downtown Cincinnati. This is a museum, the National Underground Railroad. I didn't it is know that's a, what we were doing. It's a phenomenal place. It's really, really awesome. So that's what we're going to be doing on Wednesday. We've already been, but we'll go again. That's going to be at 1 o'clock. Then in the evening, we're going to be going to the Freedom Worship Gathering event in Oxford, Ohio. Um, this is the park where it's at. We've got a permit. This is going to be with Krista Elisha. That is absolutely incredible. We're going to be singing praise and worship. We're going to have a couple of speakers, but mostly just praise and worship. And it's just going to be an amazing night. And that'll be on Wednesday. So three jam-packed days, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. So if you want to come into town, we want you to come. So you're going to be planning and you're going to get your hotel stay for Milford. All right. So, but let me know ahead of time so we can reserve your free ticket to see the Sound of Freedom with us on July 4th at 1.15. But really, I mean, if you want to come in from out of town, that's great. But if you're local, if you're, um, you know, Cincinnati, Kentucky, if you're in the tri-state, this is really that's what I for meant. you. That's what I mean from coming in from out of town. Yeah. I'm not saying travel from California. Yeah. All right. If you're close, come. If you're close, we want you guys to come and be a part of this. We're really, really excited about it. It's going to be not only a lot of fun, but I think it's all about freedom. We got banners for freedom. We got the United for Freedom event. We got the Sound of Freedom film well, that we're going to be seeing. What we're praying for uh, is we're going to be doing some street ministry, which we haven't done in a while. Um, we're praying for God to open up doors for us to minister in these secular places. Yes. So, so it's going to be awesome. So we'll be taking, we've been learning. In Revelation Red Pill in the Kingdom Roundtable for the last 18 We're weeks. We're going to be walking these cities and Practical taking, taking applications. the land and taking it and claiming it for Jesus. We're going to cast out demons in Loveland and Milford and we'll be praying. walking the, yeah, the streets. And we're going to, I'm going to, I'm, I'm. Getting... And maybe having more or less conversations with people. Do you know why we're celebrating this day? Do you know what the 4th of July is really about? Mm -hmm. Right? And I think giving maybe some founding fathers history for people will yeah. be really helpful. Yeah. All right, so that's that. Um, and and Patrick Gallery reminds me, Pete Santilli will be coming at least for one of those days for one of the things that we're doing. So that we just um, we were on his show last night. Now, if you're watching this Revelation Red Pill back years later, I'm sorry, but we have to give our announcements right now. We also uh, to end with the um, when we're taking back the kingdom, I am going to continually uh, push the ITM trading. So if you guys are needing oh, to yeah. get out of the system. Uh, my mom likes to say, that she's like, I had a retirement account. Mm -hmm. I was out, she was out in 1998. Yeah. And if you guys want to be part of the kingdom, getting into the kingdom, then call ITM Trading. They have uh, amazing people you can talk to on how to get your your. What you mean by that, strategy. Out of the, in, into the kingdom, you just mean getting out of the Babylonian system. The Babylonian, so a 401k and all these retirement accounts are based on the stock market, which is gambling. It's just gambling. It's straight up gambling. It's sin. Like, so you can, if you've got retirement money, put it in something that God can Bless. land. It's gold and silver. Um, and ITM trading is fantastic because they're not just going to sell you gold and silver. They're going to help you with a strategy. To not just to they literally survive, have, but to thrive. They, they literally have that survival shield 
which includes a whole host of things. And that's why we want you guys, it's a free strategy call. 1-866-950-7776. 1-866-950-7776. Call them and that's our custom number. So they'll already know that you're coming from Resistance Chicks, but feel free right. to tell them how awesome we are and how you found out about uh, them And watch us. my mom's shows. Patriot Gallery, let me pull this up, has been doing some phenomenal, I mean, phenomenal blogs. Um, so let me pull up our Rumble channel because I was catching up on a lot of them because I hadn't, I'm, I was behind. Um, so let me go to our channel here. This is our show right now. There's resistance. Our most recent one is um, Ashes Under Your Feet. Mind your own business, you perverts. Mind your business. I love my mom's titles. No, my, my mom's titles are awesome. Oh, Patrick Gallery already has up the life-changing Rainbow Logos Word of God um, here. So there's your uh, edited Ashes Under she, Your Feet, Mind the, Your Own Business. So she uses actually First Thessalonians, which says, which talks about every person um, providing for themselves and how the Declaration of Independence is not the Declaration of Dependence, but Independence, and that everybody should be working to provide for themselves. Come on. Mind your own business, you perverts. So then uh, last night she streamed live this Temuz. The year is right now, for those of you that don't know, the year of our Lord, 5,783. It's not 2022. Um, glorious new, I I think she means beginning. Uh, vision, fourth month, door wide open. Then the other day she's got, um, hang on. Got to go right to the next page. Down here. Part one and part two of Science and Technology so are Satanic good. with PG. Those are so them. awesome. So yeah. listen, I like to listen to PG on one and a half time. I think she has more like, um, <clears throat> um, it comes out a little bit more mom gets, boomy. Mom gets clips from shows that I wouldn't even get clips from and they're so good. So yeah, watch She that. gets way more clips. You get way, way more clips with her Cooler on clips. the stuff that you want to see. Because guys, we just cover, we give you clips of the news. Patriot Gallery gives you more clips of the God news. Yeah, it's um, awesome. And, and she's been giving really fun clips. Like working horses with Jim and those people that I'm so jealous of in like wherever they are, and Albania or some some. Bazer Jan, Bazer Jan. Um, so listen, there is no reason for you guys to watch any other show than Resistance Chicks between Patriot Gallery's blogs and ours. You don't have time to listen to anything else. All right, let's end in birth. All right. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you. We thank you so much for this word that you have given us tonight. Thank you for the anointing of Leah to compile all of these amazing and resources. Jason, coming on. We thank you for Jason and uh, the whole Heidinger family that their trip will be uh, prosperous and safe and successful as they travel um, across the nation and then also here landing in Ohio, which we're really excited about. So we just um, take these... These words that we have learned tonight, we ask you to the, write them on our heart, that you ingrain them in us, that they will come easy to our remembrance, especially when people ask us these questions, that we will have them at the ready to give them. And I just lift up all of the Resistance Chicks viewers that have been a part and are continuing to be a part of the Revelation Red Pill Wednesdays, that you bless them, that you secure them, that you set them in the land that they are supposed to be in, that you allow them to take back the territory and the kingdom yes. uh, and the principalities in their areas for the kingdom of God, that they plant that flag of righteousness in their area where no demonic forces can come near that you give them all of their needs and then some that they will lend to many and borrow from none that you will bring back their kids when they're praying for their children to come back into the folds that they can be multi-generational families on land proclaiming the kingdom of god in jesus name we pray amen all right so next week i already know what we're going to talk about we are going to talk about the seven eyes and the seven spirits of god oh wow I think you guys are going to be really excited. We're going to take a trip into Zephaniah. I think it's Zechariah or Zephaniah. I get the Z's mixed up. 
And we're gonna go into we're gonna start in on Revelation. Come on, now you're let's ready. do it. Y'all ready? Let's break down some of these verses in Revelation and the seven golden candlesticks, and we're gonna break some of these down, and it's gonna light you on fire. What, the candlesticks are gonna light y'all on fire. So please not bring this. a friend because I think that these are some of the things that really that really light me on fire when I see um, Old Testament scriptures. Uh, fulfilled in the New Testament and how do we apply those now? I want to take a moment to just say congratulations to everyone that has made it this far. Woo, you guys are awesome. As we are entering into the book of Revelation and really going to get into it, y'all stayed in it and you get a cookie. Okay. And I will say this, this is what I'm going to say when we, and I'm, I'm promising this. Okay. This is a promise and I can't believe I'm doing this because I didn't do it the first time. I'm doing it this time. When we get to episode, we'll go with 40 because 40 years is a generation. So That's the end of the so year, many. The end okay. of the year, right? Okay. Probably roughly Okay. episode 40 of Revelation Red Pill. And it, this will go on for as long as I can and you can contact me. Okay. Years down the road. If you can still get a hold of me via my email, I will send you a diploma. Okay, you will have completely graduated Revelation Red Pill Wednesdays. You will get a diploma. You have stuck through it. I mean, that is, and honestly, I may need to come up with some sort of gift to send y'all. I don't even know what that could be. But like, because y'all have, I mean, that is, that will be a very significant accomplishment. If you made it through all 40 episodes, a year's worth, essentially, is what it will have been. One whole year of Revelation Red Pill Wednesdays. It's going to be awesome. Then I mean that is y'all will just get a, more than that. You, I mean send y'all a cookie, okay? All right, we love you guys. God loves you. God bless. Remember, it's not just a conspiracy theory. If it's actually the truth, uh, James says awesome again. It's always big. Thanks, Leah, Michelle, and Patriot Gallery, as well as your friend Jason. Thank you, James. You are the man. Share this everywhere you can. This is very, very important for people to understand when the book of Revelation was actually written, and then we can go from there. Oh, we have a PO box if you guys want to send us your letters. Just like uh, just like um, Jim did. Send us your letters. We will read them on air. 107, Milford, Ohio, 45150. We love you guys. God loves you. God bless. We will see you on Friday for our headline news, we got, 6 p.m. Yeah, we got a message from our friend Rose saying, if you'd like to use my kitchen. Oh, my gosh. She's so sweet. I need to get back with her. And, and be praying into that because we probably, I can't believe I'm saying this, but I mean, I'm really excited about it. We probably will be doing some sort of homesteading event at God's Little Acre here. You guys have been begging. Uh, when we were at Old School Survival Boot Camp, many of you asked, can we please come? And I said, we'll try to do an event this year, likely in the middle of August is what I'm guessing. Probably, you know, or maybe the, the, the end of August before we head out to Bards Fest at the end of September. Um, we'll, we'll do something homesteady here that you guys can come to and see God's probably in the middle of September. We have some chickens right before we butcher them. You can cover chicken butchering day. Well, then we've got to get them going. We'll need to have get, get them going. We'll get them going. Going to get them done. All right. We love you guys. See you next time. God bless. I was called.